Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a long-time cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5e editor for Frog God Games. They can't even fit inside the building. The center has to be at least three times bigger than this. Hello, I'm Dr. Duckbutter, and I run the Thacko RPG blog. Jimmy, do you like to see what I say? A talking duck? Hi, my name is Christopher Sogdo. I go by Frugal GM online. I also face on some forum handles. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Al Lou. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of This Old Dungeon. And if you listen to the intro carefully, you're probably asking yourself, what happened to Thomas? What happened to Briggy? Well, unfortunately, uh, they are having some pretty tough times right now. As I've kind of alluded to in some of the other episodes, uh, not only is life very busy for them, but they've they've had some some other tragedy happen. Uh, This has not been a kind year to them. Uh, So uh, if you keep them in your thoughts and prayers, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, so I, I put up the bat signal. And out there in uh, internet land, I had three, count them, three gentlemen uh, jump uh, in and, and offer to be co-hosts in the interim. And so I'm going to let them uh, kind of introduce themselves and tell you a little about themselves. Why don't we, let's We're see. here to save the day. <laughs> yes, and very much so. I don't so. know, I'm offended. You called me a gentleman right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, I have a reputation. Uh, <laughs> and and ne'er do well. Uh, Rapscallion. How do you like that? Nice. Yes. Nice. Well, so, that fits uh, with today's theme, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, Frugal GM, uh, you're all at charge here. What, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Oh, what I do as little as possible. No, uh, <laughs> actually, I've had a really, if, you, if I think about it, I've had a fundamental shift in the last few years from GMing to being a player more than anything. It seemed like I was always the GM. How'd you uh, I got that? a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, fully well, a painful divorce and a move across the country. That's uh, what that's what it took. Man, I don't know if I'm <laughs> you up do to those that. things. You I'm gonna skip both things, of those. <laughs> well, then you're gonna stuck being a GM and you know what? I wouldn't complain. That's all right, yeah, I'll take that trade. <laughs> no, that's just the way it worked out. But uh no, I started, a, I'm going to say 78-ish, give or take a year. I mean, I was pretty young. I'm not that old, but I did get my hands on a first edition, or, you know, first printing, you know, first edition uh, player's handbook. And I wouldn't say what I started off with was playing AD&D. I would say I played some gaming stuff that was highly inspired by the rules that I was able to read <laughs> in my uncle's game book. <laughs> nice. 
I have an uncle that's like three years older than me. He's not the one who had the game book. It was a different uncle. But that uncle wanted me to GM for him. And then, <laughs> when, the, and then when the magenta boxes came out, I remember every time we had an, every time we wanted to play, we'd go to Walden Books and buy a new magenta box just so we could rape it for the dice. <laughs> because it was easier to get the dice out of that box set. I mean, this was years later, of course. But it was easier to do that than to actually find dice. Yeah. Uh, didn't game for a while. Got into the service in Germany. I got back into D&D. Uh, allegedly, I was the German National Grand D&D Champion of 1996. Did you nice. beat D&D? Did you win? I won. It was like a tournament. And it was billed as the national tournament. And I got a free trip to European Gen Con. And then I didn't play again for a long time. My work in the Air Force was kind of busy. And when I did get married, though, I happened to come across Hackmaster on my honeymoon. (laughs) And that just... It was everything I loved about D&D and more. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I got really, I got really involved with Hackmaster. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I moved to Oklahoma from Idaho, and I've been playing basically BX since then with uh, Richard uh, LeBlanc Jr. Oh, yeah. and his beaming group, because mm-hmm. both of us do a lot of D30 stuff. Yeah, that's some good stuff. That's yeah, some good, good LeBlanc D30 tables. There is. I don't know if you've seen any of my tables. They're a little different. Yeah. They're probably not as simple as... He likes to say my stuff is more like Judge's Guild, where his is like... I don't know. He never said that part. I assume he meant <laughs> real D&D. But whatever. I'll take the compliment, because I assume uh, that's what he too. meant. So about you, Edwin? Uh, yeah. So I also started on AD&D back around uh, somewhere in the late 70s. I don't actually remember, but it was definitely late 70s, early 80s. Um, and I played whatever, again, we whatever it was we played, which was some mix of AD&D and Dragon Magazine, whatever people had. <laughs> and I remember just random mixes, and it all seemed to be fine. And then... I, I was actually just remembering that I went to the Council of Five Nations uh, gaming convention in uh, Albany, New York, uh, probably in the early 90s, and I think that was the last gaming I did until about 2013. I got back into gaming. A friend of mine uh, called me up and said, hey, we're going to this game convention in New England. Do you want to come with? And I said, boy, you know, I haven't played D&D in a long time. Let's go do it. Uh, and I just really fell back into the hobby uh, huge. I uh, played a lot of uh, various versions of D&D that was right as 5e was coming out, and I you know, played a little 4e, I played a little 3, 3.5 Pathfinder, I was still finding AD&D stuff, uh, a lot of Call of Cthulhu. I play, I've been playing with the Skype of Cthulhu podcast for about five years. Uh, I help edit the Miskatonic University podcast and also the Modern Mythos podcast. Uh, so I've been doing a bunch of horror gaming and a bunch of fantasy gaming. And then right around that same time, 2014, I got uh, got into editing and writing and doing um, rules conversion for... Uh, Whisper and Venom, oh, uh, Lesser yeah. Gnome, and then that eventually brought me into Frog God Game. Yeah, so I started 
my professional <laughs> my professional gaming career uh, started with uh, working on Whisper and Venom and then some of the other uh, lesser known products. And that's uh, uh, Whisper and Venom Zach stuff, right? Zach Glazer, yep, yeah, exactly. So he, basically, he I had I was a Kickstarter backer of his, and he'd sent out the PDF version, and being the jerk that I am, I sent back some comments and I said, hey, have you thought about, do you think about, do you want to change this? And we started working together and talking and um, did a lot of work with that. And then I ended up as a co-author and editor on Death and Taxes with him and also published First Sentinel with him and edited Bird of a Feather uh, for him. That's quite and the pedigree, he, man. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive. He did some really good work, and it was definitely an honor to to be working with him. Uh, it was a fun, yeah. It was a new a new experience. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then when he got when he got bought out by Frog God, I rode his coattails uh, in with them, and I'm now their five E uh, line editor basically. And I've been doing a bunch of work with him, and then some other independent publishers. Yeah, so that's my that's my gaming history. If that's what we're looking for, sure. uh, I am I'm an engineer, uh, like the rest of the world. <laughs> I can engineer a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that's about it, man. Well, you know that's an important thing to engineer. So <laughs> got to get that right side out. You don't want the peanut butter and jelly on the outside. That's how I like it. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, that brings us to the doc, Doctor Duck Butter. What's up? What you been doing? Man? What What's your gaming history here, man? Ah, uh, so I, I don't think I have the pedigree of these two, but I um. I started in 1990. My name's Ryan Marsh. I don't, I don't care if my name's out there as well. Um, but uh, the, uh, Hi, Ryan. the uh, I started around 1990, right as second edition AD&D came out. Uh, but I will say I, I never took a break. I've been playing role-playing games solid since then. Wow. Okay, uh, no I officially long... hate you now. Yeah, <laughs> no long stretches without role-playing games. I just kind of kept going with it. Um, so, so how did you uh, avoid the fumes, right? The, the perfumes and car fumes? I think compared to a lot of people, I got married quite a bit older and had children when I was a little older. Ah. Um, I think a lot of people got, that I knew got out of games because they got, you know, in relationships, got married, and then they just didn't have time for it. And then I got older, so <laughs> that helped, I guess. But I've always kept a core group of guys that I've been playing with since, you know, 1990 that I still play with to this day. Um, so, but I've done every type of gaming out there, LARPing. Uh, you know, story gaming, Dungeons and Dragons, but um, my focus nowadays is really the OSR. Really, I run the um, Old School Essentials Facebook group, oh, and nice. oh, okay. um, I have my blog, and it's really based around a lot of BX Old School Essentials stuff that I just kind of create and put out there for the world. And I have a, a YouTube channel that I um, I have a weekly game that I play with a group. Tomorrow will be our 40th session. Um, so it is, you know, it's been going on for a while and, uh, I just published a video of it every week. Um, so we have a small little following and, uh, we do that. Nice. So that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, in the gaming sphere, uh, real life. I'm a academic advisor and a professor of uh, moral philosophy and ethics. Nice. We've got to talk about that sometime. Not, not yeah. on this podcast, well, there's but a, yeah, there's some... There's a couple things I could think of wanting to talk about along those lines too. It is uh, it's interesting when you bring it up. So people, um, you know, uh, 
when you're having discussions online and they're like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, well, I kind of know. Kind <laughs> of what I study. So, uh, so kind of like what I did. But so I got a cool. priest friend, and, and occasionally he'll go out, you know, we'll go hang out at a bar or something. And whenever somebody at the table finds out he's a priest, they always got to throw like all these quandaries at him, right? right? Is it kind of the same thing with you that as soon as you, you know, divulge what you do for a living, people are like, oh, well, how about, you know? Sometimes I get the the questions like, "What do you think?" I'm like, "Well, listen, man, there's been 2,500 years of like thought on this stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to answer it. Greater minds <laughs> than me have, uh, have have pondered these questions. Uh, but you know, I'll give you uh, hopefully a B plus answer." <laughs> hey, Brian, you said with, something with or without that... great inflation. Hey, Ryan, you said something that uh, kind of stuck with me. I even wrote a note down there. You talked about uh, not having time, you know, you know, other people not having time for this hobby. Mm-hmm. And I always think that's such a BS thing when someone says, oh, man, I used to love gaming. I just don't have time for it anymore. It's like, well, then you don't really love it that much because people make time for the things that's important enough for them. If they don't make time, it's not important enough for them. I think some people have a lot of stuff going on, but I will yeah. say the hobbier has gotten easier because um, I play online with a lot of my well nowadays I especially play online with a lot of groups and with my friends and that has really made it a lot easier um, for us to do things um, with oh yeah I, I agree mm-hmm. I just uh, uh, just yesterday my Sunday group we've been doing online since you know COVID <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, finally there's you know enough of us that are either immunized or that just you know don't don't care or what have you. <laughs> Uh, that we were like, well, you know, we could get back together if we wanted to, and uh, the vote went to keep doing it online. That you know, it's just too easy to shuffle in five minutes before the game and turn on the computer yeah. and play just a couple hours instead of all day, and then be done and come back. I was a very big, you know, pre-COVID at the school that I uh, that I'm at. I ran um, like a role-playing game club for the students, and um, I had about thirty to forty members. We had a very big club. A lot of the players that I play online with are, are those students still. I was a big, like, don't even have your cell phone at the table. Like, no <laughs> computers. We're going very old-fashioned. I used, you know, a hex map, and I don't even use figures. I just use little gemstones and stuff. <laughs> very low-tech, and I was a very anti-tech person. And now I can't imagine running a game without the computer and Roll20, like, because it's made it so easy to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've got an extra 50-inch TV that I'm going to turn into a digital game table, so I very much want an in-person game. Yeah, and you, you got some woodworking mm. skills to do that with, too, man. Those uh, dice uh, boxes you made, those are phenomenal, man. Yeah, that was just me learning. Well, <laughs> I actually do construction on the side. I was pretty impressed. So. Oh, that's right. I gave you one of the nice ones. I was thinking the little ones. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, anything big happening in your games lately, guys? Well, I am uh, pretty excited. I am uh, partway through a couple of playtests of my friend Glenn Seal of Monkey Blood Designs' uh, Rancid Canyons of the Floating Death Sheep. I don't know if you know uh, Glenn's work, Monkey Blood's work, but uh, it was Mitter- Mitterlands was the big, uh, sort of his mm-hmm. big thing, but he's done a bunch of other stuff, some zines, uh, Demon Stones was an older one. Uh, but anyway, he writes some off-the-wall. It's not quite gonzo, but it's 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 pushing that way, uh, mostly for uh, sort of swords and wizardry. You know, he writes in a OSR style. So I'm doing some playtests for this, and this one takes place in the uh, 
as far as I can tell, in the American Southwest, except obviously in a fantasy land. Um, so I'm uh, halfway through one playtest, and tomorrow uh, starting another one with a bunch of uh, British gamers. And I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm also playing in a uh, Pulp Cthulhu game, uh, Cold Fire Within, and we are just having a blast. I forget uh, just how much craziness can happen when you run into the pulp world and you have a keeper that's willing to to push the boundaries of pulp so that's been fun uh, i've got yes, a home game oh yeah go ahead uh so i've never played pulp cthulhu but you know obviously one of the number one rules in in call of cthulhu is uh, if you've pulled out your gun it's already too late right so <laughs> yep. how do they deal with that in that genre so yeah i think i think it's it's different it really is uh that you can shoot it out not necessarily with you know the big bads you know not with the you know if cthulhu shows up you're still you're still a goner uh but you definitely are on more even footing with some of the uh some of the some of the middle bads right i think if you like a normal call of cthulhu you know the the cultists the humans you're you know it's deadly but you've got a chance and if you're clever you're gonna you might win that fight uh but you're not gonna beat a monster and you're certainly not going to beat the uh, um, the big whatever it is that shows up. Uh, whereas I feel like in Pulp, you get one more level of things that you can tackle. Uh, okay. So there's definitely a lot of good uh, combat scenes and some pretty crazy stuff. Like they've done uh, some things that are sort of pulled from a lot of the story games, the narrative games, where you really can push things uh, pretty hard by spending some luck or... Uh, using some of the other mechanics to to make crazy stuff happen. Um, so yeah, it is. It is a. I would say it's a different. It's a noticeably different game. I mean, it's definitely you know it's it's Indiana Jones, right? So mm-hmm. you can make that stuff happen, and it's not it's not feng shui. You know, it's not you're not running up a line of bullets, <laughs> but it's 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 still in there uh, pushing along. So uh, so that's pretty good. I, I enjoy that a lot because we play a lot of. Uh, straight up Call of Cthulhu, and it's always a nice uh, breath of air to to play a little pulp and just sort of see how it is how it is different. I'm going to talk about my home game in uh, in the next segment in the Holy okay. Grail. Anybody else got anything interesting going on in their games right now? Uh, summer's kind of slow for me. My online group has trouble getting together during the summer because there's just so much going on. You know, people with families. I get it. You're on vacation, whatever. Uh, my standard answer is when someone says, hey, are you free to game? It's like, just tell me when. Just tell me to be there. <laughs> you don't have to ask my permission or to see if, you know, I'm going to – if I'm going to be free. The answer is going to be yes. <laughs> so I, I tend to take the summer and try to square away things for the rest of the year. Go through my idea – you know, I, I keep logs of, hey, I'd like to try this. I'd like to do that. There's a whole bunch of stuff I want to do next year for North Texas. Uh, try to get some my train together. Try to you know get get things organized so that uh, when I start traveling for work, I can take and use my downtime at work. You know I'm just sitting around the hotel for two weeks doing nothing at night. That's when I can do my writing and, and my or, you know getting my stuff done that isn't you know painting minis or building terrain. So right now I'm just in an orc phase. <laughs> That's why I'm free to do this. Yes. <laughs> The, my group just got through with a big section, um, so I, I'm running um, a BX game or old school essentials game, and um, they had just gone off on kind of like a sidetrack. So I'm running really a 
if people are familiar with Barrow Mason and Stonehell, they're, they're oldie book Grady's. Um, I, I'm combining those two kind of. Um, <laughs> I, I set it in the Barrow Maze nice. universe, like the little Eric County, but I put Stonehell in it too. Oh, wow. Um, and so they're allowed to go wherever they want, but they took a little sidetrack. They're like, maybe we can go see the dwarves. And so they've been doing that, and that wrapped up. They just killed the big bad. So now um, I don't know what they're going to do yet. So I, I run very sandboxy, like, you tell me what you want to do. Here's the little world, you know, it's yours to go play in. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, it's always interesting. Do you run right off the cuff, or do you have them give you a little bit of a indication of what the next episode's going to be about? If I can, I will. Like, this next episode we got up, I have no idea what they're going to do and what's going <laughs> to happen. Um, it, it ended kind of in a spot of, like, it, it would be hard for them to dictate exactly what's going to happen, like, because they've got, you know, stuff's going to happen. Uh, but normally, yeah, I try to, like, at least go, like, okay, you guys are in town. Where are you planning to go next? And they'll they'll talk about it over Discord and, like, we're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, and then I can prepare a little bit. Um, for it, but I, I try not to over-prepare. I try to go in the moment. Um, I think that that makes a better game. Very good. What about yourself? What are you up to? Well, uh, kind of like the Frugal GM was saying, uh, you know, for whatever reason, usually summers are, are you know, my biggest gaming time of the year, uh, but this summer there's just been a lot of disconnectivity between me and my other players, and we, we do some rotation of Game Masters anyhow. Uh, so it's kind of been like two of us can game and the other ones can't and we've done some board games and things but uh so this last sunday was our first day of gaming in i think three weeks and uh we were just kind of like well what do you guys want to do and like well we've been playing mutant crawl classics so let's pick up with that so i kind of did an off the cuff uh running of um uh, warriors of atos i think is the the name of the module I had read it, but hadn't read it for like half a year, so I was kind of like making some stuff up and filling in with what I could speed read while they were making decisions, and it was pretty fun. Uh, they, they literally got their asses kicked by the, the hoppers, the giant grasshopper creatures, uh, but they, they some of them survived, and they're regrouping, so it was fun. Cool. That sounds cool. Well, you guys ready to go on to the next segment? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm uh, just saying I like a little MCC. I haven't played it in a while, but that's some fun stuff there. I, I like it. I, I don't know what it is about it, but I've I've kind of gotten – I've played so much fantasy that I'm now just kind of burnt out on fantasy. And I like that it has yeah. some elements of fantasy in it, but it just has so many other directions you can go and, and so many levels of seriousness to the, the, the very you know lunacy that you can go also. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure if I should talk about MCC on this podcast. Because <laughs> uh, the, our main man here and I have a little bit of a history with MCC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were the last two survivors in a in a in a game, and it was made clear that there would only be one. <laughs> and it won me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, at the most inopportune time, I basically backstabbed him. Yeah. 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 Hence, I got a very nice uh, a dice caddy and rolling box uh, to this last North Texas. So, uh, all forgiven. Uh, it was worth it. Yeah. Well, guys, you want to go into the next segment? Let's do it. All yep. right. Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. Real quest. 
Alright, here it is with Grail Quest, uh, what we are seeking in gaming, trying to find physical or non-physical. Anybody got something they're, they're really desperate to get a hold of or to come up with? Uh, some very early issues of the Dungeoneer. Mm -hmm. I would have to, I, I would have to say, I think there's a Dungeoneer. I have, I have like a online spreadsheet that I keep track of these things. <laughs> But yeah, some very early zines. So now, I, I'm familiar with The Dungeon and The Dragon. Uh, I, I've heard of Dungeoneer before, but honestly, I don't know much about it. Uh, let's see, Dungeoneer Journal. Yeah, just some just some early stuff. Oh, and also the Judges Guild Journals. The IJ, the stuff that looked like old newspapers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, most of those. Are you just, are, are you collecting them as a like to complete a collection, or is there stuff yes, in there that you're excited to, to bring to the table? To, okay. To complete yeah. a collection more than anything. Yeah. Cool. I, I like I like some of the old zines. I do like to read through them, so that's that's what I tend to do with my my uh, doubles or my spares, trading copies, whatever. Mm -hmm. And if I could ever get this stuff digitally, that's even better. Oh, nice. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the... then I don't have to potentially ruin or have right, an accident. Wrinkle anything. Yeah. Or, or God forbid, when my cats decides to all of a sudden jump on the table and knock something over or whatever, you know that kind of thing happens. Yeah. The uh, those old magazines, I love reading the articles. The one thing that it proves to me is, I think a lot of people go to like, well, the ancient of the the creators of the game said this. Like, no one was in agreement on anything. Like everything <laughs> they've been arguing about, about whatever we're arguing about now. Oh yeah, yeah, out back exactly. Then. Nobody's yeah. ever played the game right in anybody else's eyes, that's for sure. <laughs> it is. It, I did a whole blog post on like an old issue of Polyhedron, where the guy is talking about like, of course, like if someone dies, like I let them, you know, uh, be roughly the level of the party that they're in. He's like, that's ridiculous to say that an experienced player has to go to first, whereas there's diehards that are like, if you die, you go to first and you pay the penalty. And, uh, so I, kind I just, of mamsy uh, pamsy sort of thing is this? Well, I I think you know I wasn't the only one to allude to this, but man, my early gaming, I mean Gary would be rolling over in his grave. <laughs> I think I remember playing. I remember we just we we got an adventure. I don't know what it was. It was some high level thing from Walden Books. I don't have the rules. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm pulling stuff out of my butt. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. In order for you to hit these guys, you have to roll a twenty. And then get above a ten. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of making up rules all over the place back in the day, yeah. and there still is. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's actually some of the, some of the reason why we have so many OSR game systems now, because uh -huh. it's easy to publish, and everybody's got their own idea. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a heartbreaker factor. Um, <laughs> so. so my. But anyway, that's uh, what my, I was looking for. My, Going off of that, my first character, uh, so I, I, I was kind of a, uh, kind of had the the whole satanic panic thing affect me to where I, I didn't end up getting into gaming till I was like 11 or 12, I think. And uh, the group of guys that told me, hey, we'll, we'll teach you how to play, they're like, yeah, just, just go to the model store and, and buy a miniature and, and you'll be that miniature when you bring it. And so I get there with my little brown paper bag, and I'm like, man, I found a really cool miniature, guys. And I go, what'd you get? Slide it out, and it's a skeletal warrior. Oh, and, nice. uh, and they're all cool. You could be a skeletal warrior. We didn't know what we were doing, man. I, That's so, awesome. Yeah. 
So. Best I had to do was look at Ralph Parth, the miniatures in the catalog, and say, man, that'd be nice to have. Right. Yeah. I eventually did run into another guy that actually knew the rules, and, and he kind of ixnayed that. He's like, nah, you can't bring that character into my game. <laughs> Going to have to uh. roll up a dwarf or something, dude. <laughs> My uh, my holy grail right now is uh, in my home game, which is a 5e game, and we just uh, just started meeting in person again after being online for a year. Is I'm I'm trying I'm super trying hard on an improv uh, character based game. So we've run through uh, we've been switching back and forth who's GM and just sort of you know running through some of the the Watsy stuff, running through some uh, long campaigns. And I said, you know, I really, I really want to just be creative and make it up as I go along. And I, I enjoy doing that a lot. But I've, in the past, it's, it's, you know, for one shots, it's easy. Uh, even for a couple sessions, I, I struggle a lot with closing the loop. Like, you know, I'm, I can throw out weird clues and mysteries and all that stuff, but then I really struggle to, to figure out, well, what did that mean, and why did they act that way, and how is this gonna? come back around and be interesting down the road and so i'm i'm trying to develop that skill i'm pushing those muscles a little bit uh, beyond their their normal place and so far so good but we're, we're still early stages we're about uh six or seven sessions in on what i expect to be probably a year and a half or a two-year campaign um and i'm i'm super excited like i have one idea of the of a possible overarching story thing that could be happening but if the players start to push in some other direction my goal is to try to listen and follow and see if i can make that work in an interesting way so that's that's my grail is, is seeing if i can make a, a good improv game work <laughs> how long are your sessions um three four hours okay I was going to yeah. say, with the, the shorter sessions we've been taking during the virtual meetings we've been doing, I've learned that I can improv a little more than I normally could because if I yeah. say something, it's you know I don't have enough time to put my foot in my mouth too many times to be able to then correct it again by the time we come to the next game you know, and come up with a reason why things went like that. Yeah, so when, we're playing, when we were playing online, it was two hours, and I agree with you absolutely. Yeah, two hours every week or two hours every other week, uh, there's so much, it's a short session and you've got enough time in between and it is pretty easy to, uh, to make up story after the fact, uh, cause yeah, two hours. I mean, that's, what is that? That's one fight plus some conversation with some NPCs. It's not a lot, especially in fifth edition. Uh, but yeah, three, four hours is starting to push it a little bit. Um, I need to have something ready to roll and I've been, you know, I've, I'm super comfortable with the mechanics and the monster creation. I'm happy to go into a fight without actually knowing what the monsters are and just start, well, I think this one has a plus five to hit and okay, well, that one missed, so I don't have to worry about what kind of damage we're doing. Uh, oh, maybe it gets two <laughs> attacks. We'll try that. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, as the fight continues, if, if it's a surprise fight, I'll, you know, everything sort of solidifies and I'm like, Oh, well, this really is an acid elemental. I better look that up. Oh, look, an acid elemental. It does a, it does this cool thing. Let's bring that in. And now we're in round three or four of combat. Um, and so there's, you know, it's been working. It's been fun. And, and it, I like the surprise factor. That's really what I'm, what I'm enjoying about it. And it sounds like you're surprising yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I mean I, surprising the players is easy. Right? I mean, you just use a published module. They haven't read. You surprise the players. Um, 
But well, actually, that's one. So right now, I am in a, a bit of a quandary. I'd set up a uh, a piece. Let me try to remember what the deal was. But uh, oh yeah, so there's a. This was actually a, an adventure that I uh, had read, uh, where a small village, all the silver has gone missing, and. One of my players was like, oh, well, it's probably the lycanthrope stealing the silver so they can't get killed by it. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. But <laughs> that is, that is in fact, what the published adventure has in it. I was like, so I'm going to start thinking about some other reason why uh, the silver mine. And so I'm still, I'm actually up in the air. So when we meet next, uh, that's my decision is, is it the lycanthrope or are they actually, is it somebody building something with all the stolen silver? Maybe there's some a silver golem or some type of construct or machine that needs to be built with the silver. And so I've been playing around a little bit with that to see where, where the stolen silver is going. Go to, uh, you know, like, a uh, you know, someone who's creating, I like your silver golem, but he's hunting the lichen. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So right. Cause that, that would be cool. Cause now it's a good, like I, I do play a lot in this particular campaign. I'm playing a lot with, um, moral ambiguity and so i like the idea that the silver thieves are bad because they're stealing silver from the town but they're building a silver golem to fight lycanthropes and that's good because lycanthropes are bad so i like that idea because i i've been sort of trying to think about yeah how can we because one of the things they asked me for at our session zero or it was sort of a virtual session zero we were just chatting for a while before the game started and i said you know what are you looking for what do you want out of this campaign and one of the things they wanted was uh, difficult decisions with some moral ambiguity. Uh, so I do. Uh, that's actually a nice, a nice way to use the silver golem. I, I think that may that may win the. The thing I like about that one. too is you can start dropping mixed messages. You know, like clues that are pointing more towards like the the lycanthrope uh, problem, and then also these you know, big footprints and damaged buildings and stuff that you know is a, a sign of the golem. <laughs> And then the yeah, players yeah. are trying to figure out what it all means together. Maybe yeah, it's a yeah. werebear. Yeah. Right? yeah, I like that. Maybe, I like maybe that. the stole maybe the stolen money has nothing to do with monsters or creatures. It's a, like a group trying to destabilize the local economy for <laughs> for socio socio political reasons. Right. Well, it's and it's just silver, right? So they're not touching the gold. That's what's been interesting, right? They took the silver, oh, so, they left the gold. I mean, that's assuming you have a gold based economy, but <laughs> right. Well, we're in. We are in more or less standard fantasy land. But it's true. It's true. We we actually started with dimensional uh, hoppers from Corinne. Oh, they love silver. We uh we started with um shoot I forgot who published it but it was the um the um it's a randomizer for making uh, towns like villages all the way up through uh, uh, capital cities and it came out six months ago it was a kickstarter a year ago uh she, settlement uh spectacular settlements there we go um and so we actually started by running through um the spectacular settlements series of tables for developing a village and i was like okay this is the village you're in you tell me how you got here and that thing went sideways so fast <laughs> i really enjoyed it i think we all did we had i had no idea where we were where we were going to end up and i'm super excited with where we did end up so i'm enjoying some of the old school hex crawl emergent storytelling aspects of of this um of random tables and and uh player driven story and stuff in this in this 5e campaign 
Speaking of random talents, have you guys ever heard of a, a module called Scenic Dunsmouth? It's got uh, like a the, yeah, like a village with like these spider people kind of infesting things. Is that the Lamentations one? No, I don't think. Let me take a quick look on my library. I don't... Oh, nope, you're right. You're right. It is Lamentations. The reason I have it, I don't really play Lamentations, but uh, the village creation system in that is just phenomenal. Uh, you, you, like, take a handful of dice and you drop them, and, like, oh. the type of dice and the number it rolls, like, sets up a whole village in, in the exact shape that the dice fall on your, you know, uh, Chessex map or whatever you're using. Uh, oh, it's pretty cool. You know, I've seen another system that was kind of like that, and I can't remember the name of it. Are you talking... It's almost, like a, it's almost like a game into itself, building yeah. the, the village or... Uh, well... The, I was about to bring up like I'm gonna ben be Robbins. up until like three in the morning thinking about this now. <laughs> ben Robbins <laughs> made Microscope, and it um, it's basically an RPG that you it's you don't play a particular character, you're creating a world, and so what you do is like you have like a beginning event and an ending event, and everyone kind of decides on that, and you write them on index cards and put them on like two sides of the table. And then people start, like, filling in the middle. Um, like, so the great hero rises up and forms this amazing kingdom. And then, like, you roll on charts, and it's like, well, the kingdom declines. And then the next person might do a scene where you role-play out the scene of, like, all these different characters interacting, and why does the kingdom fall? And at the end of it, you have a setting, like a world um, that you created. And we, I've done that on multiple campaigns where we created the the world using microscope and then we played in it cool idea cool yeah i've heard a lot of people who have used that successfully i haven't um, i haven't tried it myself but i am looking forward to doing that at some point cuz it does seem like a neat system for improving up some some world anybody Is else got a grail I, yeah yeah um i think my grail uh right now is to um i i have a I would love to be able to start games online with people I that you were going to say on time. No, no. <laughs> online with like groups that I'm not familiar with. Like I find it, uh, it weird. I don't have problems running games at conventions for one shots. Um, but like, you know, I would like to run one or two more games a week and just kind of putting out there like, Hey, who wants to play in the game? And I, and generally you'll get some responses um, but I'm always fearful that like it'll go really bad or something like that, and I have to be more like trusting of my fellow man. Um, I think I've played with a relatively isolated group for a long time, and like I would like to, you know, put myself out there a little bit more and run some more games and get some new perspectives. But um, it, I find it very difficult uh, to to do that. I had a tremendous. I mean. I feel so. I was mostly playing starting in 2013 when I came back into the hobby. I was mostly playing online, and I had such tremendous good luck. And this was, you know, mostly uh, G plus circles and circles and circles and circles. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, I, you know, every once in a while it, it went wrong. I will not deny it. Um, there were some, there were some bad games and some people that I have no interest in talking to again. Uh, but overall. It really went well, so I I will wish you very good luck. I have I, I suspect that that the 
most of the pain is in the trying and that the actual doing will, will be awesome for you. Yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. And I appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Um, but as for physical items, I would love to get a relatively cheap set of the encyclopedia encyclopedia magica from right. second edition. Thank you so. for listing a thing. I was starting to feel materialistic being the only guy that had a thing he was searching for. <laughs> I can find them, but I can't find them in a price range that I'm willing, or, you know, that my wife and I would be <laughs> amenable to. Um, Honey, would you like to have another child so we can give away the first one in order to buy this thing? Uh, yeah. yeah. Can, can he start working at eight? Is that cool? <laughs> well, he wanted our firstborn child. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's a fair trade. He said his name was Rump. Rumple something. I don't know exactly. But. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people give me crap because I, I like second edition. It's not necessarily my favorite edition, but it's got the nicest like supplements to gaming. Like the Monsters Compendium. I, I love that idea. I don't think they executed it the best. Uh, the spell cards, the magic encyclopedias, um, the magic item books. Uh, I mean... I don't know. That's just yeah, my opinion. No. But I, 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 other than I don't like the splat books, uh, well, although some of them are kind of cool, but like the complete book of humanoids, I like that one. But uh, I don't know. There's bits and pieces of every splat book that I think are good, and there's bits and pieces in every splat book that I think are bad. And yeah, I, I mostly run um, OSE, but I, I have a huge to me collection because I just love them, and that was the edition that you know got me going i was pretty amazed when i because it was in 2015 or something like that i don't know but i ran into a um a 2e game and i had never played 2e although some of our 1e stuff we included some 1e you know we like it was all mixed up but i was just blown away at how many options and like how much stuff there was out there in the <laughs> yeah. wow this is great <laughs> yeah, they're cranking stuff out during those days that's for sure yeah and as you say not all of it was golden but there was so much of it that there's a lot of good stuff in there there's a lot for 1e though too if you include like dragon and stuff like like you know there's, there's, yeah. there's nine paladins <laughs> nine paladins if you include a plethora of paladins in your game you know and an like, all paladin game yeah you know like so uh, i want to play an ill rigor you know and that, that's kind of oh geez yeah my, my holy grail right now i'm do this game system called the dare luck club and i'm trying to finish up the next module to print one of the adventures in it it's i always do kind of like these anthologies one of the adventures in it is the, the kids in the Dare Luck Club, they're kind of like the Goonies, and they go to this amusement park outside of town. And in this adventure, there are aliens in the amusement park that are running a ride, and the ride actually like kind of like sucks people's lives away and allows them to transport aliens onto our planet and this and that. And <laughs> one of the bigger plot points is they're trying to steal some of Earth's Polaritons. It's a one of these, you know, like tachyon type particles that supposedly can run time in reverse so that they can undo the destruction that happened to their planet and the long story to get to the short of it here um i think it'd be cool to run the adventure uh in a non-linear way to make it so that maybe the game starts at the end of the adventure 
and the kids are like jumping backwards through time as these anomalies are happening as the aliens are trying to suck away Earth's you know polaritons but then you run up against the thing when you're writing this adventure for others to use you run up against the whole you know like railroady sort of thing like you know what mm-hmm. I mean like like trying to do it non-linear linearly you feel like you have to make it so that well the only options you can have from this point are to go to these two points and they have to do this or that at these two points and then they can get to that point so that that's what I'm searching for right now is a way to not make a nice sandbox uh, that's usable by someone other than you know the person writing it uh, <laughs> to, to, to do a non-linear adventure well I guess that just depends on yeah. your rules about time travel whatever <laughs> rules I mean seriously it yeah. depends on what kind of rules you make up so you can make the railroad adventure. This is just my thought off the top of the head. Because yeah, every every time time travel is presented somewhere, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, they had that little conversation in... Um, MCU there. Thank you very much. Uh, when they were, and they were like, oh, no, it's like this. No, no, it's like this. No, it's like this. Well, Doc you Brown can set the shit. So you could have that railroad... But then when they go back through time, part of your rules of time travel is that they're disrupting that. So this is everything that they've happened before. Yes, it was linear. It was linear. So like when you're doing the end first, you already know what the, the beginning and middle was. But because you're time traveling, it gets to change. So therefore, hmm. what happens you know, because it's like what's in your past is actually your future, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. But you're getting the opportunity to change that. And then when you're, the adventure itself is done, well, whatever happened because of the time travel is what really ends up happening. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I was kind of thinking it like you set it up so the first scene is the end, but they lose. But then they're able to unlose by doing things once they're back at the beginning again. Exactly. Get you know, end on a worst case scenario, because mm-hmm. you know that odds are that's not going to happen. So therefore, <laughs> by going through the adventure, they're definitely going to change stuff. Uh huh. I like that. It's kind of tilt into the the rules of time travel is the reason well, why things can be uh, differentiated. I like that. Yeah, I I just started reading your Derelict Club, and that's actually pre- it seems pretty cool. It's real simple, but it's fun. I always have a blast running it, and people that have played it seem to have a fun. I mean, it's it's just a real simple game where it's all about just being in character and making crazy choices. Yeah, it's a storytelling game, basically. Yes and no. I mean, it it is in the sense of that's the purpose of it, but it's unlike... uh, Because my my major competitors, of course, are like um, Tales from the Loop and uh, Kids on Bikes, and those are great games, but... Those are like storytelling games in the mechanical sense. You know what I mean? I could. I'm not familiar with those at all. Oh, First okay. time I've heard of them. Yeah, well, they're they're pretty big. <laughs> but uh, just, <laughs> just just have to take my word on that. Um, but they uh, they've got the the mechanical storytelling thing where where it's a shared narrative and and a lot of what the players are doing is is making the adventure, which is cool. I mean, I, I love games like that. But I'm trying to make more of like the traditional role playing game where, you know the the, the guy running the game kind of has the plot and then you're working your way through it and, and, you know, seeing if you can, you know, come up the winner at the end kind of thing. Yeah. No, no, I see that. I think maybe, maybe the, the whole idea of storytelling comes to mind because it's kids. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my, what I'm saying is my frame of reference is slightly different. 
because I'm thinking of it from a kid's perspective. And yeah. I don't know about you, but when I talk about kids, I don't have any, so I'm telling stories <laughs> because I'm I'm talking about the past. Yeah. Hmm. All right, did we get everybody? I didn't want to skip anyone. I think so. All right. Well, guys, I know you weren't there for when these questions were asked, but uh, we're going to move into the next segment, and I'm going to have you uh, help me answer some of these letters to the homeowners. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right. With our letters from the Homeowners Association, we got a little catching up to do. Uh, I had a, a question from Mark Kettle. Uh, he says that uh, everyone always complains about the grappling and psionics rules in AD&D. Are there any rules for D&D or any other system that you always ignore when you run that game system? So what about it, guys? Yes. Uh, well, I we have uh, Skype of Cthulhu. We, have, <laughs> we, we, we pretend that we know the rules. Um, but there are some... Uh, the chase mechanics we have ignored repeatedly, and then the automatic uh gun rules we are also like we make up a new i feel like we make up a new mechanic for those every time we play <laughs> uh just because we refuse apparently as a group to learn them uh so yeah there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely stuff that we drop i've tweaked rules but i can't think of any that i've just outright dropped weapon speed yeah yes nope. use no, weapon keep speed. it all right well and Hackmaster, I don't think I've ever, I don't, None. I don't remember playing, uh, you know, for you not familiar, Hackmaster is pretty much 50% uh, first edition, 25% second edition, and 25% home rules. <laughs> the, the fourth edition Hackmaster, that is, which was right. really the first edition, but that's a different, that's a long story unto itself. Uh, yeah, so definitely tweaks, but I can't outright drop. Well, and we dropped in in one e. I definitely remember, and every time I've played it, we have dropped uh, the weapon type against different types of armor mm -hmm. bonus or penalty things. I don't even remember those details because we dropped them so much. But I know I've read them, and I know I've ignored them. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty know, sure. Now that mace, a mace does different damage, different to hit against plate mail versus against leather armor or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, I remember that chart. I think that's kind of a flash in the pan sort of thing. I think it was like yeah, something it introduced, and then like immediately, you know, nobody was using it. <laughs> right, Gary, right. Gary had some good comments about adding realism, realism, and how it can bog things down. Yeah, we or something like that. It, it just depends on you know mm -hmm. how far you want to take it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What? Why are you playing? And and what? What's your game about? I'm trying to think about modern stuff in like uh well so in 5e uh i have i refuse to use as a gm the whole inspiration mechanic uh for lots of reasons but that's a pretty i would say big sort of fundamental part of 5e and it just doesn't work at my table i i nothing against it as a rule it just i have not been able to make it work and so that's one that i i don't play with um as someone that doesn't advantage. play a lot of 5e, that that's like kind of like a luck roll sort of thing, where you get like a bonus roll or a re-roll or something. Yeah, I mean, the basic idea is that um, it it's something that you can use to award player creativity or player skill or players who are willing to play their character at a uh, play their character flaws that that kind of a thing. And yeah, basically, you give them the ability to 
uh, roll two dice instead of one and take the better of the two. Okay. Uh, and so they, they choose, but they only, you know, you can have one. You can have inspiration or you don't have it. And if you have it, you can choose to spend it. And by spending it, you roll the two dice instead of the one dice, uh, one die. And it, it it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm not against encouraging creativity. I'm not, it's just, but what I, there's issues with it I don't need to go into, but the main thing that I try to use instead of it is you can always give advantage on a roll, which is using the two dice and choosing the best one. And so I like to do that in the moment as opposed to saying, hey, you did a cool thing now. Sometime in the future of your choosing, <laughs> you can you know have the, the bonus from that. It's like, no, you did a cool thing. Why don't you take advantage of right now? Mm. Um, so that's a rule, though, that's out there that I – tend not to use and it's a simple one it's not even a you know it's not like the chase rules for or the machine gun rules or whatever it's just just doesn't fit my style i guess now i know i've done like line item edits you know like anything that's like instant out of the blue death mm. not gonna happen for me you know like green slime i absolutely hate green slime <laughs> you know the idea that you're just going through the dungeon and all of a sudden this big blob of something drops on you you're just you're dead you're gone Wait, you didn't roll a 14 on your d20? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I, you know, say, now, save versus death, you know, like, hey, you, if you know about it, you know, hey, oh, hey, this is definitely trapped, and it, could, it looks like it's kind of nasty. You know, that might be a little different. But something that can literally just be out of the blue, nah, that's just, there's got to be some kind of player agency involved. Hmm. I'd change that in my games, too, just because I, this – as hardcore as I want to be with the old school stuff, the save versus death always felt cheap to me, even when I played it back in the day. Um, so I've changed it to if it's poison or a monster or a Medusa stare or whatever it is, save versus you're going to be eradicated. Um, it just, yeah, I'm talking, they still will probably die, but they at least have a chance. Um, they It does whatever the monster's hit dice is and damage. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Like, so if you're fighting a six hit dice Medusa and she stares at you and you fail your save, you take six hit, you take sixty eight damage. You might Oof. live. Right, there's always a chance. You there's got one more die roll to see if you survive. At least the dice killed him and not the the book or the GM. Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> that's right. yeah, you know, like if you get bit by a one hit dice snake, you don't just like up. Oh, he's over. The twentieth level guy is over. He rolled a one. Well, there's there's uh, one of those, at least one of those, in the uh, our main topic discussion when we get to it. So that'll be that'll be fun to talk about when we get there. Yeah, when we get there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> real quick, and my my take on that has always been like, I, I will only pull a save versus death if the characters are aware of what they're facing. You know what I mean? Like the first yeah, time the green slime hits them, it's gonna like dissolve through a shield, and then all bets are off. You know, this stuff's highly, you know destructive or what it, that's a bad example because green slime won't go through shield but the, the point is uh, I, I tried to make it so that they realize hey this is a highly deadly thing and then they can be like oh we need to get the hell out of here or we need to you know figure out some other way of you know approaching this um but yeah just out of the blue save versus death yeah thumbs down yeah well i think <laughs> green slime should be an obstacle not a monster uh-huh that's just my opinion something you find and then can decide to either poke at and study or do the mm-hmm. dumb thing and reach your hand inside kind of thing. And I've had players do that, just get mm-hmm. frustrated. Oh, I'm just going to reach in and grab it. Screw it. <laughs> okay, well, your fingers are gone. That was fun. A couple pregnant pauses. <laughs> okay, your hand is gone. 
Cut it off! Cut it off! <laughs> okay, well, now your stump is bleeding, and you're going to bleed out in, uh, let me do some quick math, uh, about four rounds. So what are you going to do? I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm having flashbacks for this, my necromancer, not my necromancer, but a necromancer in my game. Oh my gosh, yeah. I even, I, I, in this adventure, there's supposed to be a magical tome underneath, it's like an oven or something, and there's a, it's like a force field over it, and there's green slime on it trying to get the book. And to replicate this, I literally put a book underneath my couch and said, you need to get it out of there. <laughs> and, and within arm's reach was a broom. All I had to do is like, and he had a broom. <laughs> All I had to do is like reach in and push the book. Instead, he's like, okay, I'm going to poke at the green slime and get it to move onto the broom. No, doesn't want it. And he, and then finally the player in care, I mean, literally the player just got frustrated got on his knees, reached under the couch, and just grabbed the book. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, I Hard guess we're just going to roll with it. Arms. <laughs> yep. But he was also the nicest necromancer you've ever seen. <laughs> I ended up having, because this was Hackmaster, so I ended up having to give him a, a mental quirk that basically he thought he was a bad, evil guy, but he was really a nice guy. <laughs> but anyway okay my only the rule I'm thinking of that I always ixnay is the uh, the training rule for the old school D&D uh, oh, &D yeah. type games um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you used to you had to get the XP but then you had to find someone to train you and mm -hmm. it, it's just to me like well, what is the XP well it, it represents the the skills and stuff you've learned through adventuring so why do I need to train? <laughs> you know, what's you know, it's kind of what I just did, isn't it? Well, and it's not the it's not the adventure that you're like you'd have to actually write like in order to make that fun, you have to write something. And if you're playing uh, published adventures, that's not part of it. And so, yeah. yeah, there's all that downtime, all that gold expense, all the yeah. That's funny. I'd forgotten that that was something that yeah. I. And, and to be a broken <laughs> record, anybody that's looking for that, grab some fourth edition Hackmaster stuff. It's in there. <laughs> So, yeah. funny you mentioned that, because I'm actually considering putting that back into my game. Huh. And well, I think it could be fun. I mean, anything can be fun, right? If you right. if you can write some, some cool story stuff around training and finding trainers and all, I mean, why not, right? It's got to be so, as good as killing ogres. <laughs> the, well, the big thing is, I, I the thing I've found with running, especially longer campaigns of D&D, &D, is that the players tend to get a ton of money, because gold is XP, and then have nothing to spend it on. Because I don't do, mm -hmm. like, you can go to ye old magic shop and buy magic items. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah, no. So they're walking around with 60K. What are they going to do? So if you, at least if you have training in the game, like, well, you got to dump 30K to this guy to get trained, they, they lose money, and then they're more likely to want to go out adventuring again mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. more money, which is what we want them to do. That was a great place to get extra skills. So I've considered putting it back. I don't use it now, but I've considered like I've considered doing like a, a a half breed kind of thing. Like first through third level, you kind of figure it out yourself, and then like to get really good, you kind of need someone to teach you at that point. 
You always push kind of hard into the, the stronghold thing that, you know, once they get over a thousand gold, it's like, well, where are you keeping your gold? You know, where, right. where do you guys come back to? And then they got to buy some land and build a castle. And, and then all of a sudden they got, you know, people they got to pay and servants and people keeping grounds and all that. And I pushed that, but really like our, my players got real modest. They're like, well, we're just going to buy a house in town <laughs> and that, that's it. Like we don't, we, we bought one guy to take care of it. And like, you know, and they're like, and we're going to buy some like strong boxes and like, you know, chess. They're real, they're real frugal with their money. <laughs> they're like, they're really like hard to spend it. So I've always got to do stuff to like get them to spend money or use money in order to, to do things like it just, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, guys, this isn't your real money. Like, this is fake money. <laughs> You know how many orcs I had to kill to get that gold piece? Yeah, but you know how much it Kids costs did. a resurrection spell? Revive <laughs> dead yeah. is not cheap. I had one player. He just came home with 10,000 gold, and they had two weeks off. And he's like, all right, well, I I, I want to find a part-time job. Like, <laughs> he's like, what? And I'm like, he's like, I, I, can I be like a bouncer at a bar? I'm like, sure. You'll make you it just won the gold a week. And he's like, all right. 2d6 gold <laughs> like yeah <laughs> last time i had that opportunity i literally because believe me it wasn't an original idea i said yeah for the next two weeks i'd like to spend all my money on booze and whores <laughs> i had one player do and that it, and it was like silent across the whole game table i'm like what i'm an adventurer damn it i'm a murder hobo <laughs> i had one player do that he's like i spend the entire time drunk yep. <laughs> very drunk if you introduce drugs in this game, I think I would try them. <laughs> Not in real life, but in the game. Yes. Well, we, we have another letter here, guys. Uh, so this is from a previous Leon. episode. Uh, so Jonathan Kurtz, uh, he's kind of one of our, our longtime uh, followers, has written in several times to us. Stalker. The last episode, he wrote us a couple questions uh, about different gaming terminologies. And then he sent this one in, uh, adding on two more. Uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, vocab question number two. What is nerfing? Who or what can be nerfed? Is it something only judges do, or is it something for players too? And then he's got another question after that. I don't remember if you covered this before, but I'm wondering if you guys have any experience with Tunnels and Trolls. I just found a bundle deal online, so I picked it up. Uh, oh, uh, he says, uh, ironically, uh, he's used to be from uh, Arizona. He says, ironically, we used to visit the Flying Buffalo store in uh, Tempe, Arizona for D&D supplies back in the day. But I don't think we ever got into Tunnels and Trolls. All right, so two questions there. One about nerfing and the other one about Tunnels and Trolls. Well, there's a spell that uh, <laughs> one of the ancient wizards came up with. I believe it's a fairly high-level spell that requires some significantly expensive material components. Uh, that is, ner no. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm used to hearing nerfing more video games than than yeah, tabletop RPGs. No. I agree, but I do hear it with RPGs too, what? where you nerf. Uh, an encounter or no, you nerf a uh, NPC or a monster or something. And I suppose a player, so basically means to make it less dangerous, less I've, threatening. I've nerfed my own nerf character trap. before. Yeah. Well, I feel like one, yeah, I feel like it's rare for players to nerf their own character, but well, you certainly well, could do we it. We had a one-off adventure and I was playing a, uh, under Tharkana barbarian. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I thought he was way too powerful compared to the rest of the group. That's it. So, 
I was like, okay, we got to make this fair. Uh, you know, like we came across in the adventure, we came across some monks. Okay, well they're fighting unarmed, so therefore I need to fight unarmed. Of course, they <laughs> got my ass handed to me, but right. at least that first time, uh, you know, it just had to do things to because like I can't, I can't be the the big hero for the group. This group does not revolve around my character. But when it feels like you're level five and everybody else is level one, that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. So character had to be nerfed you know he didn't do things necessarily to or you know in my head he didn't do things necessarily that were the most advantageous he just did whatever made sense to bring him to to add some balance to the character usually nerfing has to do with balance some type someone thinks something's unbalanced therefore it gets nerfed to bring it into balance And uh, for the second question, I at least do not have... Uh, I know of Tunnels and Troll, and I've certainly read uh, some stuff, but I have not, not played it, which is surprising to me. I have not either, but with the Tunnels and Trolls, uh, to speak on nerfing, I don't know, I might throw out a definition as, to me maybe, uh, that nerfing can only be done by the publisher. Everything else is either a player or a Dungeon Master decision. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, like yeah, because nerfing usually has to do with God. You know, I'm I'm the god here. This is the way it goes. Especially with the like console games. Yeah, to me, like the publisher can say like, okay, you know, like I guess the opposite of buff is is the opposite of nerfing. Like Rangers in Five E got a buff because they weren't as good. That came from the publisher. Um, but if someone chose to use the old ranger, I guess that, you know, I wouldn't consider them nerfing themselves. They would just be, that would be their choice. Hmm. Um, you know, or if the DM decided I'm just not going to have fireball in my campaign, he's not nerfing magic users. It's just an aspect of the game. Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. I I, I don't want to think about that. I I think you're kind of right that everything else is just house ruling, which is, you know, or, 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 you know, playing things a certain way. That's, Please uh... edit everything I said with regards to nerfing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've had a paradigm shift. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, in a way, we we're kind of talking about nerfing uh, green slime a little bit, too, in a way. But but like he said, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be more mm-hmm. just how we're going to handle it, not necessarily uh, an actual representation of it being weaker than what it should be, uh, which is more of a, a you know writer's or publisher's decision. Well, I guess I don't. I actually don't see the difference between who does the nerfing, whether it's a author, a publisher, an editor, or a GM. Like to me, it's all the same. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's something which to... everybody sort of everybody thinks they know what it is, and we're making it less than that. I don't. Right. I don't know why it matters who's doing it, but that's just. I mean, it's all semantics at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, though, when yeah. I hear about nerfing, it's because people are complaining about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Generally. That's why I think that the distinction was made with the it had to be the publisher doing it. I think is important because that nerfing is usually not. It's there's a negative connotation to something being nerfed. Yeah. Because it's usually the ideas of the players going, oh, oh my God, they nerfed this weapon. So unfair. Right. We took this bullet and we turned it into a little foam thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I take it from the video game angle that it, I think it originated with. And the idea is like, you know, the publisher will send out DLC 
and that will change the game. If the player runs around and is not optimal, that's you know that's not nerfing. That's just they're just not optimal. I can only speak a little bit to the tunnels and troll thing. Uh, I mean, I remember you know the hobby shop catalog always seeing that in there and wondering you know whether it was just a, a bad rip off of D and D or whatnot. But uh, uh, I've never played it. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that talk about it. I recommend the Grognard Files. Um, they've got a, a two-series podcast that covers just Tunnels and Trolls, and they give a lot of interesting information about it. But um, the one thing I, I do remember is it, it always seemed a little bit more cartoonish uh, versus D&D. It didn't take itself very seriously, um, although I guess that could also be just a matter of how you want to play it. But a lot of their imagery and some of their setups for some of their adventures kind of had a little bit of a, a, a silliness to it. Um, I, I did play it once. I mean, I played one of their uh, the self uh, the solo play uh -huh. rules, and it was just freaking brutal. <laughs> was it? Yeah, I got through. I got maybe 15 minutes into playing, and it's like screw this <laughs> because it was like, how many characters am I going to run through the first encounter? No. Nah. And I, I put it aside and did something else. <laughs> well, I know that that's one of their big selling points is that they have a supposedly a good system for solo play where you kind of the, you run through the module on your own and make some decisions and roll the fights. And um, you know, I, again, I, I don't have firsthand experience on it, but I know that that's you know one of the big things is that it's as a uh, role playing system. I mean, it came on the scene fairly early. I want to say like seventy eight <laughs> or something like that. And uh, it tried to dumb down. Well, that's a bad way of phrasing that. It tried to simplify uh, the idea of fantasy role playing and take it away from some of the complexities of D and D, where you have different systems that work together to make the game, and kind of have everything run off a very similar system, whether it was combat or skill checks or whatever. Um, I, I might have just put chosen poorly on the adventure. <laughs> you have chosen poorly. Uh, Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on any of those? Oh, sir. One final note from John Williams. Uh, he writes, Do you have a roadmap of the modules you want to do for the show, or are you just going to kind of go along with what you all agree to at the time? Are there any modules or dungeons you all absolutely hate that you think, you could, that you think could be refurbished into good adventures or dungeons? I ask this because people complain about good movies that get remakes that are bad, when really it's the bad movies that need remakes into good movies. So why not work on touching up your least favorite modules or adventures instead of your favorite? All right, so uh, you know, I, I, I think this is all you. <laughs> well, this is all you. This yeah. is partially. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I mean, the uh, the making of the sausage is uh, uh, usually a couple weeks before we're ready to. Uh, record. We throw out some ideas about what we want to cover, and we come to something that we can all agree on or find, and that's what we do. Uh, we do take suggestions, so if you have ones that you want us to cover, uh, you can write into us. You just got to write uh, this old dungeon at gmail.com. That's T H I S O L D U N G E O N at gmail.com. I hope it's spelled dungeon right. I'm a little. A little nervous whether I did or not, but anyhow. Sound, sounded good to me. All right, so uh, right <laughs> in there, horrible. tell us what you want us to cover, and we'll see if we can make it happen. Um, we did talk, uh, Thomas and Briggy and I, we did talk, I think, 
on one of the last ones we recorded about trying to redo Forest Oracle because it holds <laughs> kind of one of the higher positions of modules that are just absolutely insanely stupid and not well written and nonsensical and can't be played and yada yada. So uh, funny thing is that that's one of the adventures I did actually play with my uncle. Oh yeah. <laughs> And I thought it was fine. Well, there you go. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing, but it, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, I've read through it, and I, I can see where, depending on who's running it and how it's run, it, it could be pretty terrible. Uh, on the outset, there's not a lot to work with on it, in my opinion. So uh, what about you guys? What, what about modules that you hate that you think would be uh, something fun to try to do a remake of that actually does something good with the material? doesn't have to be d d It could be anything. I'm not a big module guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll use a module, but I'll, I'll rate, pillage, and plunder it to you. It is not, un, it is not recognizable. So I, I tend to use parts of it. Now, if I was running a tournament or something, yeah, that's a, that's a different animal. Yeah. I'm trying to think. The thing is I collect good modules, not bad ones. Um, <laughs> I have a tendency to not invest in something until, like, I, I hear from enough people, like, yeah, this is pretty quality, like, I'm hardly ever an early adopter. Yeah, there's definitely ones that I would love to see kind of remade, but usually they're pretty good. I just want a little more juice out of it, kind of. Actually, well, with the like one the we're going to go over today, I wouldn't mind. Yep. If I was going to play, I would have to totally redo it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. but uh, we'll get there. Yep. Almost there, almost there. I, mean, I, I feel like the ones I don't like, I don't like, and so I don't get excited to see them redone. I mean, it may be that there's something in them something like one of the ones one of the classics the the biggies right tome horrors mm-hmm. yeah um first the the first version of it uh doesn't do anything for me it has been redone it's been improved in my opinion uh but i don't care because i don't have any nostalgia like i don't you know if it's a bad module if it's something i don't like i won't say a bad module it's a module that i don't like well then i don't care if it never gets redone <laughs> <laughs> but if it has something in it you know it may have something in it that i think is cool and that still might not be enough for me to say, well, that whole module should be redone. It, it really says to me more, I want to take this cool piece out of this thing that I, in general, I don't like it. But this thing, this part of it, it's really neat. And I want to use that concept mm-hmm. somewhere else uh, rather than I want to redo this adventure and, and make it good just so I can see this concept in a better context. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know if it's a pride thing or whatever, but I really, you know, if I get something... And I'm like, man, this you know, this isn't gonna work. I just have to have to figure out a way to make it work. And maybe that's why you know I'm so big on I'm trying to get this podcast together. <laughs> just the idea that you know, like two mahors. Uh, I'm with you that you know it, it's it's a classic module and it's it's cool for what it is, but really it's a terrible module to run for players that you know in, in a campaign setting or, or anything other than. Hey, you know, let's have a laugh killing you guys. Uh, right. I mean, just the outset of it, you know, why does Asterix uh, have all these, you know, clues to get through traps? I mean, what's his purpose in right. that, you know? Right. Why, why would you do that? Why would you just keep stuff locked down? Yeah. Yeah. So I got to If I could see a return on investment, I wouldn't mind rewriting some of my earlier adventures I've written. Uh-huh. Personally. Yep. Yeah, no, I definitely would see improving my own stuff, absolutely. But, yeah, but then again, you know, before I put that kind of time, I'd have to, like, hey, what's the light at the end of the tunnel? Uh Doing it just for the sake of doing it? No. (laughs) Right, maybe I'd rather write something new than rewrite something I've already tried once. Yeah. All right. Any other ideas or thoughts on that? 
All right, we'll bring insert cricket yeah. noises here. <laughs> well, we'll bring that section to a close, and we'll get on to the main event here. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. For the This Old Dungeon portion of tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about an adventure that has been published. This is just phenomenal. This just blew my mind uh, looking at it, uh, and Edwin's the one that brought it uh, to my attention. It's been published with every main rule book uh, for Call of Cthulhu since the very first edition. Uh, they've, they've republished this introductory module. It went from being called The Haunted House to The Haunting. Uh, we've all kind of read different versions of it. Some some of us kind of had some overlap or whatever. Uh, but we're going to discuss what it's about. Uh, so spoiler alert right there. And if there's anything <laughs> we would change about it or anything we think they needed to change or discuss why they made changes, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. All right, fellas. Who knows what about this module? Well, I think I think one of the things before we start into it is that this is even from the first edition is put forth as a and actually this is this is an interesting subtlety that I would like to talk about a little bit in the first edition it is put forth as a scenario for new players and I feel like in later editions it is put forth as an adventure for new players and new keepers so I think there's something we can talk about which isn't necessarily specific to the haunting or the haunted house it is what is a new adventure? What is a, an adventure for new players versus what is an adventure for new uh, dungeon uh, GMs or in this case keepers of uh, of uh, the mythos? Keep, secrets, keeper of secrets. Anyway, uh, I have a quick question. What? Yo. What? Which editions did everybody look at? I specifically looked at the seventh edition, which is available, which is, I guess, the most recent. Uh-huh. It yep. looked like 2016. Free online? Yep, that's so, recent. Yeah. Okay. So, so I looked at 1st and 6th. Okay. I looked at 6th and 7th. Uh, nice. I looked at 7th. Uh, quick thing, just to add, I, maybe this will be an interesting topic. I don't know. I was never a big Call of Duty player. I, play, uh, you know, I played it once or twice here or there over the years. But when COVID hit, one of my groups went online and my buddy got 7th edition and ran this, and so I played it as a player within the last like six months. <laughs> oh, cool. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it. That's neat. You're a braver guy than I am. <laughs> Edwin... And I don't uh, mean that because it's a because it's a mystery type of thing, but... <laughs> Edwin, uh, as a COC guy, have, have you played it or ran it? You know, I have not, and I often think about just how odd that is but i think because it's in every rule book uh so many i mean i read it long before i could have had a, the opportunity to play it and i feel like most of the people i play with are in the same boat i have not so when i choose an adventure that i'm going to run for new players i've never chosen it and i can't run it for more experienced players because we've all read it <laughs> um, so, so i have not played it and i have not I don't. I, I. I feel like I think the closest I've come is maybe listened to an actual play of some people playing it, but I don't think I've ever played it, and I know I haven't run it. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that I've never played. I've played quite a bit of Call of Cthulhu. I've never, never been the keeper. I've always just been a player, but uh, I was surprised. 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it's... A, well, actually, actually, let me, uh, if I can find the quote for you. Uh, yeah, right here. So in the first edition, uh, intro to it, right before the adventure starts, it says, the major value of these scenarios is in setting up your own scenarios using these as models. So one of the things I think is interesting is that in some sense, they didn't actually expect people to play this scenario. They, they, this is sort of the equivalent of the... You know, well, here's a sample combat, right? Here's a, well, here's a sample adventure. Don't, don't run this, but <laughs> here's a way to learn how to write your own adventure. It was the idea that you know you're going to create your own stuff, and but you need to know what that looks like. And I think that's kind of a neat thought too, because this was this was early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Call of Cthulhu is an old game, and yeah, '83, I think. We didn't. And that one, this was yeah, published. nobody knew how the how the gaming world was really gonna work at that point so and this uh i think that's kind of this neat. scenario is actually written by uh, sandy peterson uh the guy that created call of cthulhu's rpg uh who also went on to to do uh some programming on doom and on the uh, quake and some other video games it's just kind of wild but yep. uh yeah yeah i mean i i, uh, so I, I guess have to say that i did not care for this really and i think part of the, the part of the biggest problem is that what they're what they set out to do? I don't think they even came close to achieving it, for a couple of reasons. And I think one is you just hit on it: is who wrote this? I <laughs> think the wrong person wrote this adventure. Hmm. Elaborate. So what were they? What and were I they have so many aiming... things I can point out. I mean, we don't what, have what the hours they... <laughs> to go into it. What were they aiming to do, in your opinion? Because I have a thought on well, my mind of what they actually did. Okay. But... What I think they were aiming to do was to write a quick. Well, I'm looking at you know the quick start rules with yep. this adventure. So their aim is to entice people to, and they're coming, I think they're trying to come at this from people who have never played an RPG before. Mm. And I think from that perspective, they utterly failed. Hmm. I think what the they reason why writing... I think they failed oh, is because yeah. they, they needed to get someone maybe like me Someone that's never played... I mean, I've played Call of Cthulhu a couple times, but I know I knew, like, nothing about it. I didn't know the GM was called the Keeper. I mean, there's... I think that they wrote this... The people that wrote this had a lot of experience with this and didn't realize that they were acting on knowledge that was too advanced for their desired audience. So and so they, so I think they that added back things to in the, here that shouldn't have been here. I think that brings it back stuff. to the point that this is maybe for... Uh, beginning players and not for beginning keepers. So I agree with you. Uh, I was actually thinking you were heading in another direction because one of the things I was realizing as I read this, uh, especially the first edition one based on the way it's organized, and we should probably at some point talk about what the this is that we've been talking about, uh, but in my mind, they wrote a dungeon crawl. Like This is the first edition one in particular. I mean, it's an OSR dungeon crawl. You could just run it as a straight yeah. dungeon crawl. You yeah. go in, Ten there's room some rooms, dungeon. you kill some stuff, and yeah. Um, and that kind of cracked me up when I realized that. But maybe we should back up a little bit. It's a haunted house, and the players, uh, player characters are asked to figure out uh, why it's haunted, how it's haunted, or to show that it isn't haunted by the owner. So the owner, the landlord, uh, some people have rented it, and shit happened to them. And, and so the owner hires the investigators to either clean it up or give it a clean bill of health. And the player characters go in and, you know, there's a dungeon crawl. They go through some stuff. They get get haunted and whatever. And then what I thought was super interesting in the first edition version, 
there's a whole bunch of information that the player characters can find out about ahead of time by doing research. They can go to the library, they can go to the newspaper, they can go to the police, they can do some other stuff. But in the first edition rules, all of that stuff is listed at the end, in my mind, almost as an afterthought hmm. with the sort of, it seems like what's most likely to happen is the landlord says, hey, characters, go investigate this. And the characters say, okay. And they go to the house and they investigate it. And, oh, but it's possible they're going to do it. Whereas in the uh, sixth edition version, uh, that, and I think in the seventh also, the, those clues are up front. The thing is, in the seventh, it's not listed like that. It says okay. basically, hey, there's all these locations, but it you can go here or you can go here. Well, like you just said, what if we wanted to go right to the house? Right. That's not even listed as an option. Oh, interesting. Which, which I understand as a player of other RPGs, mm. well, we should be able to go right to the house. But if you've not played an RPG before or you've not been a keeper, and you're looking at this and says, well, you have an option of going here or here. Yeah, like there, there's a line that it says here. It says, if the players immediately send the investigators to the Corbett house, caution them, but let them have their yep. way. <laughs> you know? Yep. And one of the things that, that though, bothered me uh, about this, and the reason I say this is more of a dungeon crawl than what I think of. I think of Call of Cthulhu as primarily an investigative game of you know figuring stuff out, is that I don't think that any of the clues that you would pick up by doing all of this work actually helps yes. you when you get to the house. And that really bothered me. Well, all the clues are basically, you know, these handouts, in the, at least in the 7th edition, they're basically here. Here's just a summation of information that the keeper has given you. Yeah, it, that, and I think they missed an opportunity. That was one thing that really got me. not tell. So, yeah, so like the 6th edition, it, it does that sort of thing where it says, oh, you know, if they go to the, the court records, it'll tell them that, you know, the, the reverend got 40 years for, I forget what it was, seven murders or something like that. And in my mind, I'm like, well, but what were the murders? What was the details? What are the characters going to learn? I mean, I mean, I can make that up, but, you know, the whole reason to use a pre-published adventure is that it has the information right there. And I, I you know, as a new keeper or whatever, I don't feel so stymied or, or worried about whether the information I'm giving is going to mess the whole setup up. And you know, that could have been an actual newspaper clipping exactly. or something that looked like a newspaper clipping. Yeah, so when I read the 7th so edition, players, it, it said... Instead of just giving them a note, you give them, here's the information, but you have to actually have to read it yeah. out of what you found. Yes. Did you like the cute thing in the in the 6th where sixth edition one where it says, sometimes facsimiles of newspaper accounts are supplied in adventures? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to give you one. <laughs> give me one, how about? <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing Sometimes. with the 7th edition is because as I'm reading it, it says, oh, the handouts are in the back. And I'm like, all right, they fixed this. They've got the actual you know, documents for the characters to look at. And I get there, and it's an exact copy of what it already said in the in the keeper section. Uh, well, you've heard of the concept of Chekhov's gun, right? Huh. Yeah. As a literary device. You know, basically, you don't mention, make a deal out of something unless it matters. Uh, if you're looking at it, and I'm... Again, only going off the seventh edition here. A handout nine is the the symbol. Uh -huh. Doesn't appear anywhere else. Doesn't have absolutely no bearing. It's on, on the anything. it's on the the inside wall of the basement. But again, it doesn't have any uh, meaning. No, it's not. Yeah, actually, when, if you read when they when you tear yeah, down well, the the boards, it, it's written. It's written. It didn't say the symbol was there. Oh yeah, I thought the symbol and the 
Uh, I might be wrong. Flip over to. No, it so, might have been in the sixth, but not the. I will but, say but it, this. More, more importantly, it doesn't mean more importantly, you can't use that symbol to protect you from Corbett or to find uh-huh. Corbett. Like you can't. There's it has no no purpose. You can't do anything with that information. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. carved inner walls, crawl space is the the words Chapel of Contemplation uh-huh. in irregular scratchy letters. Yes, you're right. Right. So, real quick, I will say this, uh, because we ended up playing not only this adventure, but we played like a mini campaign for a little while. There is an adventure that takes place just after this that includes like this symbol and some of the stuff that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Like, this leads Mm -hmm. nowhere. Well, it leads into the next adventure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of picked does that up, too, that it's it's something the Game Master could, could run with if they wanted to, but it, yep. as far as serving any purpose directly in the adventure, yeah, it kind of fell flat. But yeah. a simple note to that effect, uh-huh. for a new keeper, exactly. would be, would be tough. I, I mean, there's so many, I mean, so many little things. Like, hey, this box text, we want you to read out. Uh, there's no actual box text in the document. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and people come and go on that that whole idea, so I, I guess I can't. I'm not going to argue it. I, I mean, I, I personally prefer well, box saying, text, th- but you're right. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna say use this box text as something to read out or paraphrase whatever, uh-huh. then ha- actually do it. But they're what they they don't have any boxed actual box mm-hmm. text. They inset it. Which is the same, which they also do for keeper notes, which is weird, but it, it's the little things like that all so, over yeah, the place. No, I, yeah. Little things that I can add to this. Uh, one, uh, my buddy didn't have like the official rule book. He had the, they, they sold a box set. The starter set, yeah. The starter set. And so some of this stuff, there's other books in the starter set that I think hint at some stuff or tell you some stuff to guide you a little better. Um, just looking at this alone, I think is a little out of context. Yeah. Not completely, but a little. Um, and then um, another thing, he got the online Roll20 pack for it, um, the Roll20 thing, So because we played it over Roll20, and it did turn the thing, the handouts, into, like, newspaper clippings. It did have sure. the floor plan and everything, so... I'm talking he did have to pay a little bit of extra for that, but there was some accessories that went with it that were that were okay. I know that there's a um, third party guy on drive through that did that. You know, well there's you had to there's... wait for the seventh version and for the roll twenty ver- option on the seventh <laughs> edition of it. Well there's also, 20 years there's in the stuff making. in here that there's stuff in here that I know as a GM are clearly referenced to actual rules that aren't part of the quick start. Which is, mm-hmm. but if you're a new keeper and you haven't played before, you'd be like, what is this? I have no idea what this is. Why is it in here? You're just like, I don't, that doesn't make sense. Well, there's a quick start rule book that comes with it. And I read it first. Oh, okay. Like, okay, yeah, I... here, here's a perfect example. I'm assuming, and I have to assume, that these investigators, because I, I made a character to start with. So that I was like, I could pretend I was like running through it. Oh, if I'm nice. going to do this, then I can, you know, check this out. I'm gonna roll so like all these of, skills yeah. are, do they have untrained skills? So like everybody has charm at 15%. Mm-hmm. Off your, See, they don't minutes. actually state that anywhere in the rules. For the quick play or so the, the character, doesn't the character sheet, the character sheet. It's on uh, the character. Right. Gives the untrained skill. 
Huh. I haven't looked at the thought, the base skill, but maybe not. I will say that there were times where we were a little confused on the rules, and you know, most <laughs> of us. Have been... Well, in, and most of us have been playing for 30-plus years, like role-playing games in general. I, I love the wording wow. in the 6th edition. This is the most awkward way of saying make a skill check. It says, he or she must receive a D100 roll of dex or less. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Come on. You know, what's, what's funny is that that's like two-thirds of the way through the scenario, and earlier in the scenario, I actually underlined that same phrase, because earlier it just says must pass a dex times three or whatever yeah. like it just says it the normal yeah. way and then way down there it's like yeah this is to grab the knife right must receive a d100 i was like why don't you just say must make a dex times one must succeed on a dex times one roll like you've said everywhere else and it's like yeah, you know no i could, I could get that if this was the first time this was in print you know that they kind of changed up right. the way they're saying it got a little awkward but you know the fact that it's you know this is the sixth time at least that it's seen publication. You'd think someone would have wrestled that out of there. Well, and you know a lot of this could have been solved, in my opinion, by literally having someone that hasn't played this game before mm -hmm. go through it. So and you know what it says their in, the, questions. in the first edition. It says the player can the player can grab the knife out of the air as it stabs if he can roll his decks or less on D one hundred, which is yeah, I understand clear. that <laughs> right. And then oh, they got geez. more complicated in 6th edition. Yeah, 7th yeah, no, edition. It's the player, of course. That whole thing is a, an entire page dealing with that freaking knife. <laughs> that, that knife that's nearly funny. killed my character. Like, that <laughs> was like that's a, that's his job, yeah. And that, th maybe this is nitpicky, because I know I'm a nitpicker, but sometimes it's referred to as a dagger, other times it's a knife. I'm sorry, but those are two different things. Yeah. So, so I, oh, go ahead. Just be one, consistent. One thing about this, like, every... Call of Cthulhu slash games that are like Call of Cthulhu but not Call of Cthulhu, and we kind of know, you know, those uh -huh. kind of like cosmic horror role-playing games. They tend to always end the same way for me, which is why I, I haven't gravitated 100% towards them. Because literally this one was like, you know, I was a professor, and there was a woman in our group who was a psychic, and then there was another professor, but he was more like Indiana Jones. My guy was more like a librarian. I was more like Indy's dad, um, <laughs> you know. Um, and we're going through the house, and, like, we're like, oh, a ghost. Like, let's try to communicate and, like, you know, doing stuff that people that are of reasonable mind do. And then you go into the basement, and it's murder fest. Oh, yeah. And I got, like, stabbed a whole bunch with a knife. And so we left because we're like, oh, I'm getting stabbed with a knife. And... You know, the Indiana Jones guy's like, I just burned the house down. And that's how a lot of these games end. Like, I just burned burn the house down. down. Blow it up. <laughs> I, I will, I will Kill it definitely beg to differ as someone who has played hundreds of these games that uh, while there is a fair amount of fire, I, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like a minority of our games have ended with burning the house down. I think a, a well-written scenario does not like we all know that that's an option as as authors publishers so i think i would say a well written scenario puts in reasons for the characters not to do that to come up with a more creative solution cuz i was reading through this and i was like oh we didn't get to this part at the end like cuz we really didn't get past the dagger no yeah. right uh, so this one burning it down definitely seems like a good option yeah we just got stabbed and like <laughs> I was unconscious, though. The guy was like, I just burned this place down. I, just I mean, I guess you don't get, the, you don't get the reward. Stab me once, stab me twice. Burning it down. The landlord, you know, you don't get paid, right? The landlord doesn't give you your reward if you do that. Yeah. No, you just get your advance. That's all you've got. 
Right. Well, and I'm yeah, sure, you, can... you know, a game master could do, like, criminal charges and all that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, yeah. um, so, Dr. Duckbutter, when, when you guys were playing this, did you start the game with any sort of investigations outside of going to the house? Yes. Um, so, you know... I played enough Call of Cthulhu, and the, the guy running it, he, he had run Cthulhu before. He had run this before several times. He said he had run it at conventions in earlier editions and stuff, so he was really familiar with it. So, you know, we did. We went to a lot of the locations that are listed, the town records. We played over three sessions. Oh, wow. Uh, so we played probably two and a half hours each session. And really, session one was we did a little bit of backstory. Like, we were all professors or people of that nature, at a university and then like we got called we were like you know group you know like a group that likes occultic stuff so we were asked to go investigate and so it was us traveling to boston the first day was really spent let's all go different places and get information and we went to a lot of them the second day was us like the first day at the house like us going in and we pretty much did like the you know the bottom or the the entry floor and a little bit of the top floor the next game was top floor then we went in the basement and then I got stabbed a lot, and then we ran away. <laughs> but it, it, when you said, like, this felt like a dungeon crawl, it did. It really yeah. did. It was really kind of like a boot it and loot it kind of thing. Like, kick the door yeah. open, like, what's in here? <laughs> like, all right, it's a bedroom. Well, there's definitely, it seems like there's two parts to it. There's the information gathering phase, hopefully, and then there's the dungeon crawl. Yeah, and I just wish they were tied together. <laughs> I will admit they are completely not tied together. Like we had all this cool information, but yeah, I was looking for things like, is there going to be like a cool command word that I can mm -hmm. use to stop him from doing? Right? Something? Is there a spell I can cast to be invisible to the ghost, or is there some? Yeah, is there some word exorcism ritual that I can learn, or whatever? Yeah, something, that, something cool. That, that definitely, I think that's the the key point that it has to, you know, to. to breathe new life into this game it has to have a meaningful front load to it in, in, in another part that i think's disjointed is is what is corbett i mean it, it not that you have to define things because i get that in in the genre of horror that it's uh you know the, the the unknown is scary but just that like it suggests that he's this vampiric type sorcerer it talks about him drinking blood uh, but he can also survive on carrots but yet he's walled yeah. up and dead on this table. Like, what, you know, I don't understand. Why Why does he want to be that? And he basically doesn't move that, until you do something yeah. to him. Right. Like, okay. One of the things that cracked me up in the first edition version, uh, it gives you the stat block, strength, size, con, int, pow, dex, and charisma, and his weapon attack. And then a little bit of paragraphy, sort of fuzzy language about the magical powers, but it's sort of a distance, and I think this is a first edition thing, but it just sort of, it's a distance from this, the big formal stat block that uh, <laughs> we're all the at least the sixth stuff. edition that we're used to seeing, yeah. That sort of was, was an interesting thing. Did they edit much uh, out from first edition? I noticed just from sixth to seventh, they got rid of the renters who had gone crazy and left their kids as orphans. I don't know if that was for space or if it was just a, a touchy subject or whatever, but uh, they, they kind of didn't give any of that information in the seventh edition that they gave in the sixth. So they added stuff in the between. Yeah, they yeah. added stuff in between I... first and sixth. Um, I, one of the things I noticed, which I actually really liked, um, which is gives it, except it's a little more of the the dungeon crawl, is that the rooms that are ordinary 
are all just one line uh, descriptions. The bathroom of large size, the drains aren't too good. This is a living room. It contains conventional appurtenances such as radio couch, shelves with goo-gahs, and so on. And yeah, in yeah, some sorry, sense, I really like that. Yeah, I asked my it's wife really, that while I was really, reading. Uh, I had to look it up. <laughs> um, like it's really condensed, it's really compact, but it's obviously for an advanced keeper who is able to improv, really dead, either yeah. prep or in yes. some way create all of that flavor on their own. Whereas in the sixty, they give a little more meat to all of that. Like you know, they give the keeper some more tools i guess to play with and a little more keeper advice also in the 60 there's no keeper advice uh in the first edition there's just the adventure well and some of this just kills me like uh where the knife is it's described Mm -hmm. tell the players that in this smallish room there's scattered blah 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 when you look at the map you're like this is just about the second largest room in the building (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean it's probably got the same square footage as the living room oh yeah not that I mean, of course, then the you know the map's got a weird scale, and it's like really, do I need to break? No, I don't need to break out a, a scale. A, yeah, well, I know yeah, in one no. of the editions it does say that the map's not meant to be a battle map or whatever. Yep. That it's just to give you an impression yep. of the layout. Yeah. But um, the, the, did, did you guys find it just like unbelievable that uh, that at the shootout at the church? 40 people and what was it seven officers died and then they arrest or no i'm sorry 17 people and four officers died and they arrested another 40 people and yet there's no record of this it's all been kept hush hush and all this yeah but if there's no record of it how obviously there's a record of it if you're reading about it (laughs) decades later right and there's record of it but there's not there wasn't formal yeah formal charges uh, and all this charges and autopsies going back to the map just one thing that cracked me up the uh uh, the first edition uh, says, uh, the first edition it says a quarter inch equals about three feet, which I love that. I was like, oh, this is this is like emphasizing the fact that this is not a battle map. But I noticed by sixth edition it just says quarter inch equals three feet. We're yeah, getting rid of that about. We don't want any. We don't want any trouble. Um, but it looks like they redrew. I I'm not even sure they redrew the map. They renumbered it. Like the numbers are in the words, the labels are in slightly different places. And the the hatching outside the building is different between first and uh, sixth, a little different. But I think it's actually the same map from first to sixth, and therefore I assume it's the same one in all the other editions too, which I think is pretty – and I noticed a few of the descriptions, like some of the wording was just identical, even though it seemed a little goofy in first and definitely still seemed goofy in sixth. And That was quaint. I liked that. That was sort of fun. Well, I had to look up at least two words. Like, I did That's not know what good. a breviary was. Yeah. And then Guga? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I got to say, at least in my in the early days, I, I feel like I learned so much vocabulary with uh, with High Guy Gaxian. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that definitely was part of the RPG world. One of the things that cracked me up is, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, I just made a note of this. Um, so Corbett can make a pool of blood. Uh, in the room that he wants to make appear haunted. And uh, that changes a little bit. But one of the things it says, there's a little parenthetical where it says, taken from rats. Yeah. And I was like, what a time to try to insert some realism. Like, <laughs> why do we give a shit where the blood comes <laughs> Wait from? a minute. <laughs> well, so you know, telling me it's... Me it's like, does this cost any magic points? 
because you know they don't yeah. tell, introduce magic points as far as Corbin goes until the end. And we're like, but wait a minute, he can attack with the bed. That doesn't cost any magic points. Now in the, and did you notice there's no mechanics? At least in the first and the sixth, it just happens. And yeah, I thought there's, there was. There's no to hit roll. Huh. Maybe in seventh, but in sixth, there's a damage amount. There's a dodge. A you can dodge. Yeah. So not be yeah, in, in, in seventh. seventh right? You have to spot it, and if you spot it, then you're allowed to dodge. Yeah. Yeah, but, six, if you didn't, but if you didn't take dodge as a as an under or as a skill, how do you know? Oh, it says half dex, but how do you know you actually get it? Yeah, oh, I didn't take it as a skill, so I guess I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, that that's got to be in the quick start rules that dodge. Uh, believe me, I, I love. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, it's in there, but it's a skill, and it's not right. that the, you have these innate skill levels. Is not that part's not in the rules. Okay. And uh, now. I assumed it was because I've played with untrained skills in other games, but as again, if I came in as a new keeper or new player, that's right. I that it's not one of my hobbies either. Ooh. I wouldn't say I don't think Call of Cthulhu is going to be anyone's first RPG. <laughs> yeah, that's they're probably true. You know, they're probably making it for a new keeper, but not new to role playing games. I, and know? I get that, but and I have to add this, but. They literally have a section in here on page five, never played a role-playing game before. Right. That's true. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the things get rid of all that, that might also be because you're doing the, the freebie rules there that they've got that. Yeah. There was one thing they removed which surprised me. In the first edition, as you're headed down to the basement, it says that Corbett can uh, move the stairs uh, causing you to fall. It says, Corbett can try to cause a person to fall down the stairs by controlling the rickety wooden steps. And I thought that was really cool and such a, a great picture. Like a keeper, I can imagine describing that and the player going, holy shit, and then rolling their decks to see if whatever, whatever. And in the sixth edition, it's basically, it's dark, and you got to receive a dex times <laughs> seven or less roll. Yeah, it makes it sound like they're just really the steep or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, here it's, it's so just lame. rickety in seven. But he yeah. can mess with the electricity. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I was, I was, I was, breaker, you right. can turn it right back off. Turn it back off, yeah. <laughs> but I thought, boy, what a what a loss of of something so cool and atmospheric. Well, but, that was like the, the parents. The, uh, they have that in seven. The the perilous stairs that he can move. But does it oh, actually do say he moves them? Yeah, oh, okay. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The stairs Only are perilous. Can make move, yeah. All, oh, all the more because Corbett can make them move. Yeah, oh, in six it doesn't it back. doesn't have that. It just makes it sound like they're just really hard stairs to navigate. Dumbass investigator yeah. that trips on the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> I was focusing on the flavor text. Yeah, the so he can't. I remember that happened because one of our investigators like broke her ankle going down the stairs. Mm -hmm. So now we'll say that's the one thing I do like about the idea of this game is that it's it's somewhat of a very simple haunted house. You know, it's not like there's mm -hmm. ghouls and and you know things happening in every single room. There's basically the one haunted bedroom and then a couple little sounds and the stairs and and then the the basement's a kind of a carnival show, but. Uh, other right. than that, it's got a very simple kind of eeriness to it. Yeah, no, I think it's a nice, um, it's a nice space, like as a thing to to go through. I, I, I like the haunted house itself, um, and I, I agree, it's simple, but it's deadly and it's eerie, and you can like it has a nice 
flavor to it of like, well, there's this upstairs room that we want to keep the people in because that way they'll just freak out and run away there. Maybe we'll kill them and and, and I will be safe. Because I guess I got the impression, I think maybe more in sixth than in first. Um, but my understanding after reading the sixth one is that if only he has long enough to sit undisturbed in the basement, he will become whatever, a lich or who knows what, but he'll become super powerful. And he's not there yet. He's in this, tra he's transforming. And so I like the idea that is, you know, all, all he needs to do is keep people away from him for another hundred years or a thousand years. And, and then he's going to be something super awesome. Uh, and that didn't show up in the first edition so much, but I, I like that. Like story-wise, that's a nice motivation, mm -hmm. um, and it, it allows you, as the keeper, it allows you to play Corbett. Okay, what's my goal? My goal is to keep people away from me, and if I can't do that, I'll kill them. Great. Okay. Good. And I think just the next uh, step is, I think is making it so that the players can realize that that's a possible that. goal. You know that that's something that's yes. written in the yes. the whatever yes. the flesh book mm -hmm. is they find. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I also thought that in in the sixth edition that book is chained to a table. In the seventh edition, they find it under a cabinet, and I thought the chained to a table thing was kind of cool. Yep. Yeah, it's an old. And in the medieval, in the first edition, it's actually a different book. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, and I got called... how how difficult it was to even get there to a certain extent. It's like, why would you even check out this church? Because right. there's really, really, you have to you have to take a leap of faith to go to this place. And then, then you can get a clue that leads you to this place, and then right, you like gotta you gotta go dig it around. And now, if that doesn't happen, you could talk to the newspaper guy, and he'll mention the church. Yeah, right. So but you feel one one roll along the way, you're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. one clue, and you're not getting that book. Yeah, kind of the yeah, common that... modern philosophy on on investigations and stuff like this. The three... it was, yes, yes. Yeah, not there. Well, yeah, but, but, but luckily, none of them matter. None of the clues matter. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, it's okay if you miss them. Yeah. So we, make the clues we matter. We had an experienced GM that was able to weave them together you know, pretty well, like why you would go to the different places, which mm -hmm. was nice. Um, you know, and he had run this before. But yes, when, when I got done with the adventure, like I had taken pretty intense notes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what does it have to do with anything? <laughs> like, right. Like what is what's going on? Um, like because we didn't use any of this. Well, okay. See, one of the things that I that, that that just gets me in general is that okay, this is a quick start guide and the adventure to go with the quick start. So what I'm expecting to see in an adventure is all the mechanics mentioned in the quick start rules because mm -hmm. you want to kind of see that in play. Well, the certain things like luck. Luck is really I mean, there's a there's one time it's like, oh yeah, you know, do things in luck order, but luck is really as far as I mean, I could be wrong, but luck is basically used once, and it's easily missable because if you don't go to the chapel, mm -hmm. you're not gonna get a luck roll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. Right. The... So it's not. You're saying it's not sort of taking advantage of the rules available. It's not a good demonstration of the rules. And, and that's what I think an adventure that is meant, especially since it's literally bundled. And yep. I mean literally in, in the actual, like it's in writing. <laughs> right. It's literally bundled with the quick start rules. And so really it should be, hey, here's the mechanics. And I understand that there's an extra adventure, you know, there's stuff on it. But like when you go to, and again, I'm, I'm only looking at the seventh, 
if you go to the, the room one in the basement, they mention treat this as an obscure clue, which is capitalized. Okay, well, that's mm. obviously that means something, but not as far as the quick start rules go. Yeah. What the hell is an obscure, play with. I have obscure no clue? Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, you know, when you start fighting with the knife, they go, hey, uh, use these fighting maneuvers, page 13, but then they don't actually use them. Instead, mm. they're like, okay, use these, use this, but, you know, instead of doing that, we're going to do this. Because I'm thinking, okay, if you're going to use the fighting maneuvers, one, all the players are definitely going to be bigger than a damn knife. They're all going to get a nice bonus because they're definitely going to be bigger and heavier than a knife. But, right. oh, no, 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 you're going to be doing an opposed roll against his Magic house power, power, yeah, power, yeah, so. uh, Oh, okay, well, but that's not part of the fighting maneuvers. Okay, well, you know, we'll get to use fighting maneuvers again. Oh, you know, oh, here's another fighting maneuver with the Rat Pack. Overwhelm, fighting maneuver. Overwhelm is not listed as a, in the fighting maneuver section. Oh, for the quick play one? Yeah. Huh. And it doesn't, and it, honestly, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, as a pack, they may solve overwhelm using a fighting maneuver rules. Well, I was in, overwhelm isn't listed in the fighting maneuver rules. And, oh, because of the numbers, they gain one bonus die on the attack. Well, but you have a strength and size rating for the rat pack itself, which would give them a build of 70, which is part of the quick start rules. That doesn't necessarily give them one bonus die. So it seems kind of contradictory. It's like, come on, guys. Everything you put in the adventure should be referencing the rules that you're getting because you're trying to draw Same. people into this game. So as if I was a new keeper or even a player and I'm seeing these inconsistencies and I'm seeing these issues that just don't make sense, is it going to motivate me to buy the regular rules to play? Mm. I would say no. You, you need you need these rules. You gotta you gotta find out what the what the maneuver is. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I gotta know what overwhelm does. So I will say, I guess it worked on my buddy because he was like, he couldn't figure out some of this stuff. So he's like, I bought the regular rule book. Now I know what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, he had the kicks or the quick start, but yeah, we ran into a lot of rules that we just didn't know it, it said like do this thing and we're like how do you do the thing it's not in this rule packet but I'm yeah noticing something uh something that bothered me a little bit um i made a note in the sixth rule 60 rule uh scenario i didn't note it in the first but so I, you guys might have noticed this as well but when corbett claws you uh you get a serious disease mm -hmm. and Possibly, yeah well so what's interesting is it says in the first d1 it says the day after being wounded the victim becomes delirious and will remain so for 30 minus con in this case weeks and in the 60 it's days Jeez. but it's the same thing a day later the victim becomes delirious and remains so for 30 minus your your player character is out of the game for 15 days on average uh, 20 days uh starting the day after you get clawed period no saving throw you get the save at the end of that time to see if you continue in that delirium and in the first edition it was that many weeks like your your player character is 15 weeks on the dl uh <laughs> because of this claw with no saving throw like, holy cow, i mean that's huge yeah. Well, I, I should reel it back because here there is a possible luck roll. In the but 70. Again, 
Yeah, on the seventh. But again, yeah. that's only if he does this. I mean, you, if you guys all happen to get into the room with a handgun and just say "screw it" and shoot them, point oh, blank. Sure. Well, no, he's, he's immune never to bullets. Come in effect. He's immune to bullets. Yeah, chips in the way. I immune. Think. Yeah. Well, at least in six and first. Uh, is it immune or just heavily armored? He's got it? the armor. Yeah, no, he's sorry, got he's the armor. Right. I mean, you're right. You're right. He's, saying... he's heavily armored. Right. You're right. But that's only you know up to twelve points. Oh, of course, that's no. all. I mean, my character didn't have a gun, but you know. Oh yeah, I didn't either. Like I was. I was a librarian. I mean, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that uh, six points of armor is pretty high. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's significant. That means most most guns are not going to be. You know, the average gunshot will not do any damage if you've got. Uh, well, six those armor. points go away. They get worn away. No, it's each time you're hit. Like, you just yeah, it's a it's a damage um, reduction basically. So you could just pow, 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 and there's no Oh, see, no, see, according to this in the seventh, it's uh -huh. like it's not a damage. Well, it's – okay, so if a character has 12 points of flush ward, his armor, and suffers 8 points of damage, he suffers no damage, but now it's reduced down to 4. Oh, so it's like okay. additional hit okay. points, so to speak. So it's just it's, – uh, yeah, what you call it in 5e is uh, bonus, not uh, – Temporary hit points. Temporary hit points, yeah. exactly. Yeah, okay, that, that is super different, yeah. I don't know if this is a mechanic in all the editions because I haven't played many of the editions. But is the 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 push your luck mechanic is that in all the editions or is that a new? No, thing that's for a 70. seventy. That was new for seventy. Yeah. Okay. I kind of like that mechanic. Um, I love when, it. I, when, I, when we're playing. Um, I love uh, push, pushing push rolls. Uh, I, I think that's one of the better mechanics they came up with. Like it's such a it, it's like advantage disadvantage in my mind. It's simple. It drives narrative, and it's. Yeah, those two things. It's simple and it drives narrative, but and it gives it gives players a little more control over the outcome. Yeah, especially when you're like, ooh, they're really like, especially when it's like a nasty situation. You're like, oh, the guy's got a gun. Like, are you gonna push it? Like, because if you push it, like, it's gonna go real bad <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you fail. If you fail, yeah, and you can't spend luck. Right. So, push, yeah. well, I I love this one because like you're talking about push mechanics. So at location five, if they go to the the police station. If failed, the player can ask to push the law. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, roll in secret, but regardless of the dice roll, they know the person. So I'm like, oh. then why that have sucks. them, why even do this? Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. I understand because, you know, whether they succeed or not has, is, is, you know, de defines the relationship. But mm. it's just like, uh -huh. that seems kind of an awkward use of the push. Agreed. Rules. I mean, I guess if they, if they know them, I didn't, this is in the 7th edition. Yeah, seventh yeah, edition. Yeah. So they have they know them, but then something either good or bad happens right. depending on whether they failed or succeeded. Yeah, this is just like either you know her and she's friendly, and if you fail, you know her and she'll take a bribe from you. Oh. It yeah. almost seems like a way to try to backdoor using so you your the, uh, yeah. your cash. Right. Your your um, your yep. credit rating. Sorry. Credit rating. Yep. Yeah. It just seemed like a way to backdoor the credit, so the credit rating does something, because that is a rule that's, yep. you know, some space is devoted to. And they, oh, they did nerf it just to bring it back. <laughs> um, in uh, in the first D, one of the diaries you can learn uh, summoning a dimensional shambler. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's I feel it. Like, is that in the six and seven too? It is. It's mentioned in the seventh, yeah. but it has no bearing on anything. It has yeah. no bearing. You can't even learn it in the time of like, the scenario. I, that has to be right. for future. That's for future so, campaign use. Which again, I agree with you. That should be explained. 
Why why waste space? Yeah. Well, I, I like the idea. I mean, if they're going to point out, hey, this could be your player's first adventure on a year-long mm-hmm. campaign of being investigators in this town, and wouldn't it be cool if they learn this spell here, and then a month later after they've recovered, they know this spell, and they go on to the next adventure. Like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, or, hey, we have this next adventure. And, oh, by the way, some things that aren't really necessarily part of this adventure but are useful for later adventures are right. denoted this fashion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just just yeah, yeah. putting that little flag in there that yeah, this this is for expanding later on by the keeper or yep. whatever. Yeah, yeah, because I do feel cheated sometimes. It's like in uh, if you play a, a one shot like a, a convention game of of D and D, and you get this really cool magic item <laughs> at the end, you know, four hours in, and you're like, okay, that was cool, and now I have this. Oh, and game's over. Oh man, <laughs> I've got this character I will never play again who has this really cool magic item. Thanks a lot. And, and I think this is just because who wrote this was someone that was very familiar with the rules and there's basically some assumptions made yeah maybe not not necessarily intentionally but no that's a good point i think it is really hard for i mean i feel i mean i'm a teacher and I, i teach stuff that i have known about for 30 years and it's really hard to figure out what do people not know, what are people's misconceptions, where, what's that early questions. And I agree with you that that's the kind of thing that you really do want to play test with newbies. Yeah. The heck but out see, of. the thing is, is you literally have access to that to that right. demographic, to that audience. Exactly. Yep. So to you, it's in your face, where yeah. it isn't necessarily yeah. for a publisher. Right. Work it out ahead of time. Well, guys, uh, we got to bring the segment to a close here. Um, kind of maybe go around the horn one more time. Uh, the, the main things you would change if you were going to be running this or uh, and or uh, any different way you can think of using it, some other system you could uh, rip it out and use it with, or I don't know, just be creative or, or tell us how to solve the problem that is the haunting. Who wants to go first? Um, uh, go. Good. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think the, the main thing is a, uh, edit, 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 and like, make sure that everything that is in the, you know, in the actual game is in the actual rules, uh, that the players can get. And then to, um, try to tie some of that stuff together from the investigation and make it useful. I would, uh, focus on, I would absolutely do those two things. I would also focus on the. Uh, keeper notes, uh, if this is designed for a new keeper, and sort of the meta keeper notes that are player notes, like you might want to tell your players blank or blank if they're struggling at this point. Uh, so I would I would definitely try to make this a more educational scenario. Yeah, personally, I would change just about everything about this. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm being negative, uh, and that's and that's only because. To me, I don't think that they're doing what they want to do. I'm not saying it's a bad adventure in and of itself. Uh, I think there's some things that could have been tweaked on many levels to make it more immersive for a new player. I mean, and for me, the big thing is this is, you know, your, your players are called uh, investigators, right? Yep. So focus on the things that would draw people in that make them want to figure out the mystery. Because the whole idea of the adventure is to figure out the answer to this mystery, mm-hmm. not a dungeon crawl. Of course, it may come out that way. So focus focus on the things that differentiate your game from all the other stuff out there, which is really the mystery investigation aspects to me. 
I could be mm-hmm. wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Won't be the last. <laughs> now I'm, I'm kind of in line with you guys. That the, the investigation has to matter. You, you're as a game master, you have to come up with some reason how that is going to help them understand Corbett and defeat Corbett, or else it's it's just spinning wheels and, and that's not a lot of fun for players, in my opinion. I think it'd be interesting to use this kind of setup and uh, maybe do like a a, a noir uh, gangbusters game with like some haunted house elements like this or something, you know, take, take a game that where people wouldn't be expecting something like this and have them experience it. But I can't really think of any other novel ways of using it different than how it's presented here. Uh, There was one thing that did occur to me as I was, I was trying to read this because it's set in basically 1920. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish they made all the references more relational instead of saying, you know, and I realized, because you're paraphrasing in some of this stuff, but it's like instead of saying 1918, say two years ago this happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it made it seem like that one family had been gone for years. Uh-huh. It's like, no, actually, they've really only been gone for a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, I had they to do a lot in, of that subtraction to figure out their years ago. But also, if the keeper wanted to move this to a different era, it would be would much help. easier to do so. Yep. Yeah. Did you guys know that originally uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, the role-playing game, was going to be set in the 70s? That they had to talk mm-hmm. him into going back to the 20s, to the original you know, book uh, era? Oh, I think the 70s would have been awesome, It would be actually. interesting, that's for sure. Because you could use modern stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if you were able to get a hold of some some like reprints of the Weekly World, uh, the weekly world News... You know, they're really weird. <laughs> Maggie, you know what I'm born, talking about, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you could you could have got some pretty cool props. Yeah, to me, this game screams props. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it definitely could use them for sure. It, dis- it disappointed me so much when it said handouts in the back, and you get there, and it's just literally what it already told you in the paragraph. It's not you know anything neat or interesting for the player to look at. Anyhow. Yeah. All right, the next segment is the uh, Geek Credit segment. Hey, hey you! Do you have any Geek Credit? All right, guys, uh, we've got Edwin in the crosshairs tonight for our uh, Geek Credit. We're going to be asking him some questions related to tonight's topics and role-playing and geekdom in general. Uh, Dr. Duckbutter, would you do the honors? Sure. Um, you said to try to do a theme So my theme because I've been reading a lot of it lately, was second edition to AD&D. Ah. So I don't... <laughs> nice. So uh, it's not a multiple choice, but it, it's a, it's one, it's a list. Um, a list. So can you okay. please name five official 2E settings that have a box set? Ooh. No. <laughs> Come on, try. Get right in. Sure, you can get a couple of them. Um, all right, so five. Um, uh, sorry, so second edition D and D. So I feel like uh, I feel like there's the uh, uh, there's the vampire. Uh, Strahd is in uh, Castle Brain. Raven Ravenloft. That's one. Okay. Ding ding ding. Excellent. All right, that's good. Uh, Greyhawk has got to have a box set. Does it have a box yep. set? Good. All right, that's two. Um, I don't even know if box sets came out with Spelljammer Second Edition. Does that have a box yes. set? Yep. Spelljammer. Nice. Was, there, was the era of settings. Okay. 
Um, and when did um, when did the um, uh, the the one with the trains? Um, L M M. Oh my God! Why am I brain dead? And of course, I have Google in front of me, which I'm <laughs> studiously not using. Yeah, of course not. Um, who's no, the one with the train? You know what I'm Eb- talking about. It starts with an E, Eb- right? It just came out with a five E version. Eberron. Is that two E box set? No. Eberron. Eberron. Yeah, Eberron is out. Oh, no. no. Eberron didn't come out to three point five because that was okay. Ken Baker. Okay, so I'm, I'm losing on that one. <laughs> so uh, there's one, and it's got a lot of deserts in it. Ooh, I forgot about the, that one. Uh, does the one that has the city of brass and stuff, does that come out in two I think I have that one. Yep. Um, wait, I'm looking for it. It's on my shelf here. That's why my voice has gotten quiet. <laughs> Al. Yep. Didn't yeah, Hickman Al. and Weiss put out one? Oh, yep. a little dragon lance? Yep. Yep. All right, that's, that's five. five. Yep. Do you, uh, so, by any chance, do you have was, the complete list there? I don't have the complete list, but I could probably name several more. What uh, Council of Worms mm-hmm. was a setting. Uh, Dark Sun is a setting. Planescape uh, is a setting. Alkadim, which um, he was talking about. Yeah. Alkadim. Oh, really? Uh, I thought you were talking about Plain, not Planescape, Dark Sun, when you mentioned the deserts. That's what I was yeah. mentioning, but then he okay. caught on to Alkadim. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that works, too. It's like Athos. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mistara. Um, uh, Miss, yeah, Mistara uh, was second ed. Basic nope, they have a second ed Mistara setting box. I'm back. That was just regular team. And well, they tried to do a crossover. They hey. didn't. Uh, so I, I, I feel like I gave you the correct answer. The answer was no. I couldn't do it. But you did though. Yeah, you no, you came up with five. You came up with five. I just gave a couple extras. Yeah, I need a little help. Help my friends. All right, so for my question, uh, I'm theming around the, the Haunted House, Chaosium stuff here. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, the Happy Haunts uh, at Disneyland's Haunted Mansion ride. How many Happy Haunts are there to see on the original Disneyland Haunted Mansion ride? In other words, these are their, their ghosts. How many ghosts do they have? Uh, the options are 9, 99, 999 or 666. Okay, I'm going to vote against 666 because I feel like they don't play with um, <laughs> the devil games here. So now we need nine haunted things and 999. Yeah. I feel like even Disney. I'm going to go with nine. Oh, nope, 999. The, uh, There's always room for one, one more. more. That's the tagline, yep. Oh, nice, okay. That, okay. That's kind of out of left field. I feel bad about that one. We may have to cut that Oh, no, that I one. think that, that one at least was Haunted House related, yeah. so I like that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do another one. Um, I don't have a multiple choice for it, though, but it will, we'll go with it and see what you if you got it. Uh, okay. What class and race were removed from second edition from first edition. Like, they were in the first edition player's handbook, but they are not in the second edition book. Class and race, one of each? There was one class and one race that didn't make the crossover. Okay, and these are are things that are in the core one player's handbook? But they're not in the core second edition handbook. All right, so fighter, cleric, thief, uh, magic user... Those are all going to run through. Um, and then 
so another core character class. The Ranger and the Paladin are core, I think. And the Illusionist was a subclass. That doesn't count. The Assassin was a subclass. That doesn't count. Oh, the Bard. So Bard was never in first. Or, well, it wasn't first, but it wasn't in the, the player's player. handbook. Oh, right. That was a, okay. So you're saying ones uh, that were in the first ed core book oh, that dropped like, oh. out by second ed. Right, that they didn't yeah. include in it. Yep, yep, yep. So I feel like... There's I'm actually not... two classes in one race, but I'm, I was just looking for one of each. Looking for one of them. Uh, so here's my hint. Have I yet named the one that is dropped, or I still have to come up with some other 1E classes? You, still? you have named one of them. So I'll okay. give you, you named Assassin. Assassin was no longer in. Okay, cool. That's um, one. And uh, the, other, subclass? the other one was um, Monk was not included. Monk. Oh, I thought you were doing with Race. The, yeah, okay. You know so what Race was So Race, who did we get rid of? They got rid of... Um, let's see. They kept the elf, the half elf. They kept. Did they get rid of the half orc? Yes. <laughs> so bonus points if you know why. <laughs> Wait, you said the halfling or the half orc? Half orc. Half orc. Uh, bonus if I know why. Uh, was it was it uh, copyright related or? No, they were trying to sanitize D and D, so they got rid of assassins because they're not heroes. Right. They got rid of monks because they didn't fit the Western stereotype. Thief became they rogue. They got rid of half orcs because they're kind of. I think their origin is a little suspect. Yeah, rogue was second edition instead of thief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thieves and bards were in the rogue umbrella. I thought you were going okay, for a uh, barbarian, but no. All right, you got one. We'll jump to you, and then I'll take I... the next one. Yeah. Okay. So. There was a major change between the, and I realize this is probably easy for a lot of folks, but there was two mythos were removed from the uh, deities and demigods between the first printing yeah. and the second and later sure printing. Sure. Nicely. That's what okay. I thought. Well, great. Wait a minute. That's a clue now. Well, so there were two mythos that... that were removed. That's yes, uh, that were removed out of deities and demigods first edition, and one of them is the Cthulhu mythos. Ding ding ding. And the other one was removed for other. The other one was um, Elric stuff. I yes. feel like. Yep. Yeah. Yes, that. Well, I was looking more for the Cthulhu oh, more than anything. Yeah. yeah. I get. I get the second one. I always get wrong. So well, there I think there are three because there's the Elric like one, yeah, and then also uh, the the didn't they have Balrog in there and the from the Hobbit, or maybe I'm uh, maybe that was in uh, Monster Manual or maybe yeah, yeah, that's a monster. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a guy so I'm not, I'm not a complete... wanting to sell me that book with the two mythos in it for fifty, and I keep <laughs> I, I need to take them up. I that. spent a hundred dollars on mine, and it's not that great a shape, but I this got... one's. This one's like pristine. Yeah. Oh God! Now I did get a. Uh, it wasn't Deities and Demigod. It was. Oh, what was it? I feel like an idiot now because it's it's right over there and I can't. Fiend Folio. Fiend Folio. I got a pristine Fiend Folio down in Austin two years ago for like twenty five dollars. Oh wow! Nice. First printing, and I'm like, well, I think there was only one printing of that one, but I'm just like. Um, if this came out now, it would be twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, I will take that. Edwin, you got one last question here. 
Uh, All right. My seat's getting hot. (laughs) All right, last one. Uh, Which of these horrific locations used in fiction is also an actual real-world location? All right, so your choices are Amityville, New York, Arkham, Massachusetts, Castle Rock, Maine, or Springwood, Ohio? Amityville. Yep. Very good. All right. He makes his good credit, folks. I live in Maine, and I know Arkham's fake, and uh, it has to be Springville or Spring uh, Spring Springfield. Of course, is the real name of some town. I think doesn't every state have a Springfield? <laughs> yeah, probably. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why The Simpsons shows it. <laughs> yeah, Springwood is the awesome. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street town. Of course. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that concludes a, a long but very nice episode of this old dungeon. Uh, I've been one of your hosts, Lou Alu. I'm Edwin, one of your hosts. Thanks very much for having me. I'm Ryan, I'm one of your hosts. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm Christopher, and yeah, thanks. It's been a sure good pleasure, guys. Uh, Those of you listening, uh, keep on gaming, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the This Old Dungeon Podcast. Copyright 2021-111. The views expressed, well... Let's just say we're unreliable narrators, so listen at your own risk. But otherwise, folks, have a pleasant day.